comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. recording and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron but Abe is not here once again. We are doing another bonus commentary episode for many people I think would agree is their favorite Batman movie. We are talking of course about Batman Forever the the third film in the original Batman film series which I guess is fitting since we have the third film in the new Batman series approaching ever so closely and um yeah, we're going to do another commentary, and joining me to help in this commentary episode, we have the co-host of Legion of Dudes and the Walking Dead TV podcast, the deep-voiced Riddler himself, Jim Dietz. Who are these people who consider this their favorite Batman movie? Oh, you know, there's, there's, it's, a, it's an underrated crowd. There's also a writer for Mendelssohn's Memos and Huffington Post, the owner and proprietor of his own Bat Nipples outlet, Scott Mendelssohn. How you doing? Uh, the order information for your own bat nipples will be after the show. And, of course, writer writer for Damn Dirty Blog and the owner and proprietor of his own bat nipple clamp outlet, Jordan Grout. Hello, hello. All right. How are we all doing? Answer at the same time. Great. Fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, pretty pretty simple. Uh, I mean... We're all we all have the movie set. We all have Batman Forever. This is the first Joel Schumacher film starring Val Kilmer, among others, which we'll get to. Uh, we all have it synced up at three seconds in, and uh, we're just gonna we're, I'm gonna count down from three, and on go we all press play, and everything should work out wonderfully from there. Are we all good? I'm gonna start. Yep. I'm gonna start the countdown. All right, three, two, one, go. All right, so mine lagged a bit. Okay. okay, we'll just speed it up a little. Uh, so before we get into get into get into it, okay, let's just go over like our brief thoughts each of us on what we think of Batman Forever, and all. let's just start with uh, Jordan. Um, I am not the biggest fan of it. Uh, I actually prefer Batman and Robin over this one. Okay, Jim. I am uh, not a huge fan of the, Schum- the Schumacher uh, Batmans uh, either. Although I thought Val Kilmer was a decent Bruce Wayne. Scott? Uh, I like the film. I think it's a nice mix of the 1970s Cape Crusader, er- Crusader era, sort of mixed with a somewhat flat, fun-for-the-family 1950s comic era as well. Um, I'll elaborate further as we go on. But yes, I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. Okay. And as I- far as... No, go ahead. That's fine. Uh, I, I I basically fall in the same camp as you. I like this movie. I don't love this movie. I think it has clear problems in the form of Two-Face, mainly just because I love the character of Harvey Dent in Two-Face, and he's very poorly portrayed here, I think, even though Tommy Lee Jones certainly has fun acting very campy. But overall, there there's a lot that I like about this movie. It's certainly not that I... I don't love this movie, but I like it. Um, 
and this is we're opening on the scene that actually started the first trailer as well. And there's a sign where there's this line where he's going to say something effective, uh, you know, you need a sandwich, I'll get drive through. Needless to say, that scene showed up on every McDonald's commercial. <laughs> and here is the new Batmobile. Uh, looking pretty much like the old one with an extra fin somewhere in there and looking more like a shark than the old car. Yeah, it's um, got like a neon rib cage going on. And there is the old dependable Michael Guff, one of two main actors along with Pat Hingle that's in all four of these films. And here we're hearing the action version of the Batman theme by Elliot Goldenthal. This is a bit more, uh, It's there's a certain darkness and gothicness to it, but it's also more of a, you know, a, a super heroic, you know, kids playing with their action fingers, figures kind of thing as well. Uh, I think it's undervalued. I think it's a lovely theme. And I think the whole score is pretty interesting. I, I would agree with that just because it works. It certainly, it creates an identity for this film, which I, I can identify this score. It's not, it's not the Danny Elfman theme, which is amazing in its own right, but it, I think it, it's, it suits this film and the, and the next film too. I mean, it's the same basic kind of, it's, it's it's the easiest film Batman theme to hum. Schumacher's best decision during his time on the franchise was hiring Goldenthal. Um, and there was actually a time when the, the film was actually going to be filled with a bunch of pop songs, the like of which were actually on the soundtrack. And then somewhere mm -hmm. pretty early on, Schumacher said, no, it's not that kind of movie. Um, this scene is interesting because for about 30 seconds, you think, wow, he's really nailed Harvey Dent Two-Face. And now, <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, now, no. Yeah. Like, oh, you had it. And then, and that, that scene where he's, he's basically threatened to kill this man as Harvey Dent is basically one of the few times where he's actually, quote unquote, faithful to the comic book character. Um, this is maybe the lowest. Yeah, line. mostly instead of, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go, Jim, go, Jim. Go. Instead of, I was going to say, Tommy Lee Jones pretty much plays Two-Face as One-Face, and that face is totally crazy. We never get the, the same side of Two-Face, and thus I think it kind of undercuts the, the real base of the character. Um, from what I had heard, there was, and I don't want to speculate too much on 15-year-old gossip, uh, you know, 17-year-old gossip, but uh, he and Jim Carrey did not really get along on this film. That's why right. they yeah. eventually, you know, made a point to go out to lunch and sort of mend fences. And if I had to take a guess, I would say part of the reason why is he was kind of directed to basically do what Jim Carrey was doing. But Jim Carrey's better at that than he is. Which is, um, it's kind of entertaining just because this is maybe the most lively I've ever seen Tommy Lee Jones since yes. like the first Under Siege movie where he's kind of <laughs> a wild villain in that one. Um, here's uh, here's Nicole Kidman in this movie who basically, he, she plays, you know, smart character who happens to be incredibly hot and sexy <laughs> yeah uh that hair that's anne hathaway and ella enchanted hot <laughs> um i had a thought that's your go-to uh, that's your go-to <laughs> yeah, yes yes <laughs> absolutely um hot entrance words of a professional <laughs> exactly um, it's interesting because the scene, they, they makes a reference to two guards being murdered and really for the rest of the film, there's no real violence of that nature. That's particularly cold and brutal other than perhaps the death of death, Dick Grayson's family. But that's, you know, that has to happen for the sake of the plot, which I think uh, is effective in this, in this film. Yes. Given the family. I mean, this is like, we can get into this more, I guess, but the, the, this, the Batman forever is kind of the answer to Batman returns as in it's, 
it was purposely made to be more light, light spirit, more family friendly opposed to Batman Returns, which is, yes. as we've discussed before, a very violent and kind of nasty yes. movie when you get down um, to it. Yeah, and, and the color palette especially. I mean, in, as you saw in the scene where he flies down, you know, the city street, I mean, you can tell just from that establishing shot of that Gotham street, you know, how different in tone it is from the dark Tim Burton, uh, you know, grays, grays, blacks, and whites that we saw in the first two movies. And, you know, it, it, Joel Schumacher has said a, a bajillion times that he really did set out to make a, quote, living comic book. And to a certain extent, in the somewhat cliched sense of, you know, the 1940s and 50s, uh, God, what was his name? Dick Sprang. You know, this feels very much at times like a Dick Sprang comic book. I mean, all that's missing are giant typewriters. Um, and there is a certain mix, more successful than not, of blending family-friendly action-adventure with a certain darkness and at least a threat of violence if the body count itself is actually pretty low. A lot happens in the opening credits here. Like, the, the directed by just came on and Batman's already, like, entered the villain's lair and fighting all the henchmen oh. now. <laughs> like, really actually, a lot of ground just got covered, just saying. Absolutely, and it's interesting because... Originally, this movie took place in an entirely different order. If you read the script and kind of you know take a look at some of the deleted scenes, the movie was originally supposed to open with Two Face breaking out of Arkham. It's a very yeah. dark, gloomy scene. Uh, you know, there's a guard tied up, maybe dead, maybe not. Um, and then you cut to the scene from Wayne Enterprises that follows this whole action scene, where uh, we meet Edward Nigma. Bruce Wayne talks to Nigma. Then he sees the bat signal, and instead of it being Doctor Chase Meridian, it's this scene. The bat signal got set up because Two-Face knocked over this bank. So it's actually somewhat closer to Batman Returns, where there's not a big action scene for the first 20 minutes or so. Obviously, this was rejiggered a bit to get you right into the action. And more or less, it's effective. For the for the tone of this movie overall, I would say, yeah, it is. I, yeah. would be, I am interested in how the darker version of this movie would be, as I think many people would after watching this compared to the last couple of Batman uh, movies. But And I, I, d I did do my homework, and I watched the deleted scenes this afternoon. No. So if need be, I can talk about them. I this uh, I know this character right now, the security guard character, I believe they, they wrote it for Wayne Knight. Like, he was the intended person to play this role. And ah. he, he, I guess he just he didn't want to do it. So they just got some like random nerdy guy as opposed to getting Newman from Seinfeld, who they thought would, I guess, bring in the kids. <laughs> um, I did not know that. That's interesting. Speaking of casting choices, I, I seem to remember there were a lot of rumors going around before this went into production that Robin Williams was being courted to play the Riddler rather than Jim Carrey. Robin Williams has been rumored to play the Riddler <laughs> since July of 1989. <laughs> Poor Robin um, Williams. Yeah, and ironically, it was r right to the end. It was between him and John Malkovich, oddly enough, coming off of In the Line of Fire. He was actually considered neck and neck. For the Riddler? And, yes. I watched this that was, movie. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, me too. Um, and I remember the night this casting was announced. It was on Entertainment Tonight, and, you know, this was before the internet, et cetera, et cetera. It was a complete surprise. Nobody, you know, Jim Carrey was completely out of left field choice. He had just done, um, like, both Ace Ventura films and The Mask. Yes, it was like, you know, late 94, well, early, mid 94, right after the mask. Basically, as, and, he's, as he's burgeoning into a, a career, yeah. a, you know, $20 million movie star. And I'll, I'll get into that this later, but he's actually quite good in this movie. Uh, I know a lot of people sort of think that he's just mimicking Frank Gorshin, but really it's, it's. I, I don't want to get into too much detail now because he's on screen quite a bit later in the film, but it is it is a real performance. It's not just shtick. Um, but I'm so, getting off the subject so physical here. anyway. I mean... He's so physical anyway, especially as expressive as his face is. 
um, you know, playing the Riddler. I, I thought it was a great choice. I just thought it would have been entirely different if Robin Williams, you know, had played the Riddler in that kind of manic, coked-up style that he used to do his comedy <laughs> in. I would be interested to see, I mean, we can get to this more later, too, but I, I would be interested to see how Jim Carrey would have played the Riddler now as opposed to playing it then. Um, I think it actually would be pretty similar to how Robin Williams might play, excuse me, <laughs> my, Robin Williams might have played the Riddler in 1995 in a film that was a direct sequel to Batman Returns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amazing oh, pinpoint accuracy by Batman. Oh, just absolutely. <laughs> that perfect. That got a laugh on opening night. He's, he's the world's greatest detective. Um, this was actually the first midnight screening I ever went to. Um, I had been to a few advanced night screenings, but this was the first midnight. I have, I have fond memories of seeing this movie with my mom, who I've seen every Batman movie with, but um, I um, literally saw this movie at the latest show, because every show was sold out, But I'm, and I'm like a huge Batman fan, but I've said this before, I believe that Batman is my earliest memory of seeing the first Batman movie in theaters, but um, I saw this film, we, my mom and I saw this film, we were like in the front row, it was like the latest showing possible, but we saw it, and like I was... I mean, I was much younger, but I really, I really had a good time watching it. I was just really happy to see a new Batman movie in general. Oh yeah, I, mean, I, I liked the movie a lot when I was fifteen. Even though I, you know, I knew there were issues with it. Yeah. I knew it wasn't as quote unquote good as the Burton films. But you know, getting back to something you guys said earlier, there is a large contingent of quote unquote general moviegoers who just wanted a happy, fun, exciting Batman adventure, and this is really the only one for them. You know, with the possible exception of the first one, even the first one is very violent, very dark and weird. And the second one is certainly very dark, weird, and very sexual. And then you have the fourth one, which is, you know, a camp fest. So for sort of a middle-of-the-road Batman adventure picture, this was really it before Batman begins. Um, and to my 15-year-old relief, he kills the guy on screen right here. He Yay, there's going, to be, there's going to be violence, thank goodness. Let's talk a little bit about um, Val Kilmer, since we have a new Batman now, since, you know, Michael Keaton and Tim Burton are both gone here. But um, Val Kilmer, who I like in this movie, I like him as Bruce Wayne, actually. I don't know about Batman necessarily, but I like him, his Bruce Wayne, and I wish I could have seen more of that tortured side of this character, opposed to, you know, getting into the villain fest that this movie eventually turns into. But Val Kilmer, he's coming off of a tombstone. Like that's, I guess, yeah. probably, that's like the last movie. So I guess at this time he was probably he was a hot commodity. I guess he, I mean, Tombstone was certainly. I have many friends who are still who still love Val Kilmer in general because of you know just how you know hot he was in Tombstone and how effective he was as Doc Holliday. Like he was just a great. Yeah. That's he's a great. great. He's so good in that movie. It's a great performance. A great performance, absolutely. I always bought him as Bruce Wayne too. I always thought he was a good Bruce Wayne. Just because he, he had the tortured side and he also had the charming, uh, you know, millionaire playboy side too. He could play either. Um, it, I, I still have trouble with the Batman suit because it, he, really, he really can't turn his neck and stuff. But uh, but I probably put he was a decent Batman overall. I enjoyed him more than Michael Keaton as Batman. I think he has the advantage as Bruce Wayne at least in that this is the film that really tells a more Bruce Wayne centric narrative versus the two previous, you know, the two Burton films. I would argue that all, you know, I've written about this years ago, but that all four films do have somewhat of a connective Batman Bruce Wayne character arc, but this film is arguably the most Batman centric of the first four pictures. In terms of Batman being the lead character on screen for the most amount of time and not quite being overshadowed by the villains as much. Um, 
Now, part of that was the choice of Tim Burton in the first two films to have him be a somewhat reclusive, mysterious character. But this film, what I like about it, even what I like about Batman and Robin, is that it doesn't make the dumb choice that the comics have made, and I would say the Nolan films have made too, which is that, oh, I have to neuter Bruce Wayne and make him absolutely useless so I can run around being Batman. And I know that's an editorial edict, edict, whatever, handed down, you know, from Dennis O'Neill in the comics, but it's always been dumb. The whole idea that Bat, you know, Bruce Wayne cannot do all this good for Gotham, all this good for the country, because he has to pretend that he's an idiot so he can be Batman is, is counterproductive, frankly. And I like that this film really highlighted Bruce Wayne as a, a person of good, as someone who made a difference in the world even when he wasn't Batman. End of rant. And here we have. And, I agree. Go, it makes it makes much more sense that way. Go, Jordan. You know, as much as uh, people um, give Paul Schumacher guff about his filmmaking styles, I think it's honorable of him. Uh, recently, he came out and said that uh, he he was sorry for talking bad about Val Kilmer when this movie came out and um, trashing his performance in this movie. And this was like a year ago when he came out and and he said, you know, I I, I shouldn't have done that. That was that was crass and. And uh, he actually is quite good in the movie. And he pretty much took back everything he said about Kilmer when the movie was released. There's uh, there's two things I could say about Schumacher in, in general right now. And one is, I, and you, I, yeah, I've heard that before too, Jordan. But he's also, he's basically taking credit for the reason why people don't like these movies. Like, he's happy to take the blame at this point. Oh, yeah. Especially for Batman and Robin, which is very apparent on the commentary. Which is, it a, is. it's a hilarious <laughs> listen if you listen to Joel Schumacher's commentaries on both of these films. It's a great commentary. He's very, he's very aware, and uh, no, he, he's happy to address the the complaints people have about both of these movies. But mm-hmm. also, regardless of how I mean, good do you think these movies are? They certainly have an identity to them. Like, they, oh sure. Regardless of you know getting rid of Tim Burton and you know making having a new director in place, I mean, the world of Gotham has a very distinct look in in this movie and in Batman and Robin, which is I mean, I liked it more than Jordan Scott, but that's more you then you can say about the Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, the <laughs> the Batman Forever, you could there's a Gotham yeah, here. True. There's a very specific look for Gotham that sticks out. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I don't want to spend this commentary bagging on Spider-Man, but you know, one <laughs> of the things that I, I said is that, you know, if I feel like watching a Batman movie, I might choose to watch a Burton one. I might choose to watch a Nolan one. I might choose to watch a Schumacher one. And they're all gonna feel different to a certain extent. And one of my problems with Amazing Spider-Man is it didn't feel different enough from the Raimi film for it to ever be the one I choose. But again, I don't want to talk about Spider-Man here. I will say two things about Jim Carrey. A, in the opening 50 minutes, he's a generally scary kind of stalker character. I mean, it's, it's, it's more authentic than I think he's given credit for. You know, it certainly was a harbinger to his work in The Cable Guy the next year. And second of all, you know, obviously they can't admit it, but I think it's really cool that Jim Carrey plays arguably the first gay supervillain in comic book history. Because <laughs> well, let's let's be honest, he's got a crush on Bruce Wayne. Well, J- and, yeah, you know, that's okay. He does. He but, wears the same suit later on and yeah. all that. And I mean, I mean, George Clooney plays the first Batman, first gay Batman. But yeah, I agree. I would agree with you, Scott. I do. I do think Jim Carrey has there's a there's a menace to him and what he's doing in the early goings of the Enigma yeah. character and. I, we can get later to how camp is too camp for Jim Carrey and the Riddler. But let's instead uh, focus on him, Bruce Wayne, sliding down this super fun slide that goes to the Batcave or whatever. Oh, I'm sure we'll see that in The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I love how it's a chair to activate it. 
What was that? I was going to say it reminds me of that on the, on the Venture Brothers where they uh, ah. gave the slide down and shoot him to grease up before he went to bed and he asked why. <laughs> because they put down one of those big shoots like that, shot him down into a car so they could go on patrol. <laughs> who built that thing? Who who was paid to be silent? Luci- Lucius Fox was uncredited <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the bat, like, there's no, like, even though I, the, Gotham does have a distinct look and I like it, there's no rhyme or reason to how this city works at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, if that man, he has to go like to the super tunnel that goes to the Batcave from Wayne from Wayne Tower or whatever, Wayne Enterprises, and then he takes the Batmobile and he's like on the main road and then he's like driven up the entire building and now he's here at the spotlight. <laughs> like, now, if you look at the chronology of this scene and keep in mind, as I said, it was sort of rejiggered after the fact. Batnipple. Nicole Kidman, or Dr. Meridian, is directly responsible for both the creation of the Riddler and the murder of uh, Baxley Jr., whatever his name, Begley Jr., the guy that's killed in the next six minutes. Uh, because if not for her false alarm, he would not have blown off Edward Nigma, who then would not have, you know, gone completely crazy and turned into a supervillain. And that's why I think, you know, come what may, the original, you know, from a you know narrative point of view, the original order kind of works better. So at least there, he's talking to Jim Carrey. The bat signal goes off. Hey, look, it's Two-Face robbing the bank. That's a better reason for him to ditch Edward Nigma than being hit on by Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but better I mean, in terms of... To, to, to the film's credit, I mean, Nicole Kidman looks amazing right now. Yeah. And we got to see her press against the bat nipples for the first time. Better is perhaps a loose term. <laughs> um. Well, not only that, but the previous scene was like morning, and now it's night. Exactly. Uh, it, it that that tunnel shooting thing takes a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're going all the way from Wayne Enterprises <laughs> to the back. <laughs> it's about three hours. Next time he'll bring a magazine. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I heard a beep. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um. And this is the one reference to the second film. There were actually other references to the previous film. Am I still around? Yeah, you're here. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. There were actually, in the original script, other references to the previous two films. Um, there's a bit during the helicopter scene with Two-Face where basically Batman says, I'm not going to kill you, and Harvey says, you're a killer too, which later plays into the fact that they acknowledge that in the first film, he killed Jack Napier, basically, and in the second film, he killed a couple of the uh, Cobblepot's henchmen. And they directly referenced Jack Napier being the killer of Bruce Wayne's parents. Uh, all that stuff was cut because it was somewhat, you know, darker material. Um, and but you know, the, the 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 earlier script really did treat this more like a direct sequel of the first two Burton films. Yeah, uh, and, even, and it still does to an extent. I mean, yeah. it certainly it certainly feels like it's in. Well, I mean, besides the visual look, I mean, it certainly feels like it's still in the same universe. Like it's not a. We haven't rebooted. It's like it's more like Bond, if anything, where we just kind of have exactly. a new, we have a new person involved. And in Bond. fact, if I'm if I may be so bold, this film should be how you do a reboot. <laughs> you know, they completely started from scratch. They got rid of everybody except a couple supporting actors, but they didn't feel the need to retell Batman's origin. Yeah, which is but I mean, even the they first do film tell, They do tell Batman's origin just enough in case you're one of the eight people walking to this film that doesn't know it already. You know, you will see his parents get shot in about five ten minutes from now. Uh, this film almost has a. Well, I don't know about. I don't know what I was about to say, but uh, it, may, it might have a better handle on the origin than the first Batman film does to an extent. I don't know. There actually are. There's deleted scenes that actually play into 
Bruce Wayne's origins into becoming Batman, which yes. I found to be quite interesting and you know would have liked to see in a I'd like to see I'd like to see the other edit of this movie. Be, I would love to see yeah. an extended version of this film. Scott, let's reasons. go to let's go to Joel Schumacher's house after this. Let's go find him. <laughs> <laughs> um because it, it's this? interesting. Oh, oh. oh go ahead. Oh no, no, go, please go. Well it, when you watch the deleted scenes, a lot of them are actually Bruce Wayne having the same kind of conversation that he has in Batman Begins. You know, uh why am I doing this? Am I responsible for my parents' death? I, you know, he talks about falling down the hole and being chased by the bat. Um, there's a scene toward the end when he has amnesia, where he basically confronts a giant bat in the cave, and it looks exactly like the bat from uh, Batman Year One, hmm. um, the, the comic book. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've said in a weird way that Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, in their Bruce Wayne-centric stuff, actually ended up taking a lot of stuff that was in this film, but cut for time or for tone. Um, so had this film come out the way it was intended, for better or worse, the stuff that Nolan did in Batman Begins wouldn't have been as fresh and new because Schumacher would have done it you know, several years prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all I got. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the, the uh, original cut of this because I've, I've heard there are even more scenes that aren't on the Blu-ray that, that are still oh. floating around. Oh, uh, there are. You can find the. I'm a, it's been years since I bothered, but if you find the original script, it's like a, it's almost three hours long if you actually read the thing. And right. I read the script years before I found the DVD. Hours. Yeah, it's a good two and a half hours of probably material. And there's there's stuff like you know the scenes we talked about. There's direct references to Jack Napier. There's scenes where Doctor Chase Meridian's on a talk show, and that's where they get in the kind of debate where you know Batman has killed people. No, he's not. Blah blah blah. Uh, which kind of gives the whole, you know, Dick Grayson wants to kill Two-Face, but he shouldn't stick a bit more meaning because it's more like Bruce Wayne is trying to make sure that Dick doesn't make the same mistakes he does. Um, where in this film, it comes off almost, you know, moralistic because, hey, this guy's been killing people for the last two films. And all of a sudden he's telling Dick not to murder somebody. Um, and there's this. Sorry, go ahead. This scene here with Jim Carrey, this, this is kind of... In my eyes, and I know like the Frank Gorshin Riddler, but in my eyes, Riddler is a character who, because you have to separate him from the Joker, and the Joker is, you know, a Joker. And Riddler always comes off, to me, my ideal Joker, I guess, is the character who's, he might have a mischievous side to him, but he's very much in control of things. He's very, he's, he's, he's witty, he's very smart, and it just, Jim Carrey's portrayal is decent enough but it's it, yeah. there's there's these there's certain scenes like the one we just kind of passed by where he's you know going all manic about his his brain drain thing and it it kind of it just kind of rubs me the wrong way when i think of the riddler versus think of jim carrey's riddler uh but it's okay because he just murders a guy right here oh yeah he's gonna kill this guy so yeah it all, it all sets <laughs> Which, it straight i guess you know even when i was young i always thought you know if i'm in that chair I'm going to say as many nice things to him as humanly possible until I'm out of the chair. Then I'll go fire him, report to the FCC, whatever it is he threatens to do. It's like, yeah, come on, man. The man when you're tied to a chair. Exactly. <laughs> but speaking of manic, I love the uh, Riddler's theme, how it, it is like a manic depressive you know, type theme and how it takes uh, like themes from like 1950s sci-fi films. And uh, it, it's, I, I feel it's so easy to imagine the, like scientists in those films in their white lab coats, like monsters are attacking, and I, I, I think it's fantastic. That that green light too, and that kind of crazy contraption that made him look like Doc Brown back in the future there for a minute. Yeah, uh, that that's very much how I like fifties and sixties sci-fi too. It's 
mm-hmm. very much melts that. And I, I, I really uh, want to speak this, to what the Scott made just a minute ago about how, you know, how different, like, the Burton Batman is compared to this Batman, compared to the Nolan Batman or even the animated Batman. I mean, it's it's a, a tribute to the artists that they can, you know, come to the same material. And when it comes time to reboot a franchise, um, you know, are, are able to bring something totally different. And I, I kind of agree with you on The Amazing Spider-Man. It really wasn't different enough for me um, to, to differentiate itself from, from the first trilogy, but I digress. <laughs> um. Let's see. And then it's interesting here is that they, you know, we just saw Harvey Dent's origin, which is exactly what happens in the original comic books. Yes, it is. Even right down to the absurd thing of Batman sitting in a courtroom leaping to his defense, which, you know, that was what it was in 1940. And, you know, for better or worse, good on them for doing exactly like the comic books. Um, I still say the best, uh, or at least my favorite portrayal of Harvey Dent's transformation into Two-Face is the Batman animated series. Agreed. Because there, you because this, the animated series does a great job of taking the time to introduce Harvey Dent as a character before he actually becomes Two-Face. He sets him up a few episodes early on, and then you, you get this relationship between Bruce and Harvey Dent in that series, and then you have a two-part episode that leads to him becoming Harvey Dent, and it's like it's there's there's it's heartbreaking to an extent. It's, it's, it's it is heartbreaking, partially, you know, because of what they do to set it up, and partially because, you know, I think it was the Richard Mole that does his voice. Harvey Dent is such a nice guy. Yes. I mean, he's, <laughs> I mean, he's such wonderfully funny and charming, and, you know, he's a prosecutor, but, you you know, you know, he cares more about, you know, using the law as a shield rather than a sword, so to speak. And it's just, you know, it's, it's devastating because you like him. You know, they even said, you know, Bruce Tim and, and, you know, the gang, if they had had a choice, they would have kept Harvey Dent around for, like, the first half the series. Yeah, because he's a good he's a good character, and like I that that's credit to well, like. Well, plus his, his go Jim go. I was gonna say his or I'm sorry, man. His origin is tied into the origin of that version of uh, Poison Ivy too. Yes, because he's one of her first victims, and so that they have a past when they meet later as supervillains. <laughs> so it's like, great, you know, it's yeah. all this all this kind of really smart, uh, you know, planted. Uh, no pun intended. It's also it's also a credit to. Uh, um, Aaron Eckhart in the Dark Knight too, because Harvey Dent, as I, I've said this before, I think, but Harvey Dent and um, uh, Jim Gordon, besides Bruce Wayne and Batman, are like my favorite characters in this universe, and I like seeing a good Harvey Dent, and so that's, I, I really enjoyed seeing Aaron Eckhart in, in the Dark Knight, just because I mean it's basically his story in that movie. Batman's kind of just, he's there, he's the hero, he does all these things, but yeah, it's the story, it's the story of Harvey Dent's rise, and it's the, uh, it's, it's a Shakespearean tragedy about Harvey Dent essentially in the Dark Knight. And really, I'm so good in that too. It's it's a shame he was kind of overshadowed by Ledger, who's equally as fantastic. But I mean, that's just a movie full of great performances. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can talk oh, all yeah. day about the Dark Knight. <laughs> uh, same bad time, same bad channel. Yep. I, I like uh, the I like the music that introduces this whole scene and going into the Enigma's lair and seeing what he's about and everything like that. I I, I like all this these these little details. This is one of two or three pop songs that's actually in the film. Uh, you'll hear another song, and I'll be honest, I don't know what it is, when Dick Grayson steals the Batmobile in uh, about a half an hour or so. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much all straight orchestra stuff. Uh, yeah, and you have, I mean, you have U2 ends the scene, the song. When yes, does, when does, the credits. Yeah, the credits. When does Seal's song come in? When does Kiss from a Rose? Uh, a- after that. Okay. Those are, the, those are two end credits songs. Which were huge at the time. Remember those oh, yeah. songs? They were, I, I always heard them, but I never, I never disliked them either. I like those songs. No. I mean, you know, even 17 years later, Kiss from a Rose is a great power ballad. It is. I like uh, Seal. It's, yeah, it's a wedding, it's a wedding dude, I heard a wedding song. 
Uh, and, and perhaps stereotypically, when you think of power ballads, you think of, you know, females. McLaughlin, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Celine Dion. But but Seal's Kiss from a Rose is one of the better power ballads from a male. Like, I love this scene because it's, like, it's, it's scary. It's creepy. I love his, like, scary lisp that he uses throughout this movie. It is. I agree. Um, and getting back to power ballads, I think it's, yeah, I think it's Seal's Kiss from a Rose and the freaking Aerosmith song from Armageddon that I can't stand. Yes. <laughs> That's a song I can't stand. I know people love that song. I can't stand that song. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always said, you know, uh, my heart will go on maybe a little cheesy, but it works like gangbusters for the film, and it's a lot better than the stuff that ripped it off for the next five years. I agree with that. I saw Titanic again when it was, you know, it, it works. I saw I saw yeah. the 3D Titanic. It was, it was good. It's a good song. I like it. Yeah. It's, it I, I bought the score a month before the movie came out. James Cameron actually released the score like it was a Broadway show a month before the movie came out. So I used to joke that I was sick of that song a month before anyone else was. But it's a, you know, even then I knew this is an incredibly catchy, powerful, engrossing song. It's silly. The lyrics don't make sense in that James Bond theme song kind of way. But, you know, it worked. But getting back to Batman Forever. Um, I like this scene. Uh, yeah. I like Easy the, I, breakdown. The, yeah, well, that's he's Bruce Wayne. I, I, like, I like the, first off, I like that he's wearing like a black turtleneck and a black sports coat. I mean, he's just complete 90s. But I, I do like just these, <laughs> these little interactions here between Dr. Chase Meridian and, and Bruce Wayne being, the, acting Bruce Wayne-y, acting like I'm a made up Playboy billionaire kind of role. It's, yeah. Um, what's interesting about the scene, well, not the scene, is I'm pretty sure she wears black in every scene except for the finale. Um. <laughs> And what I like about this scene, just, you know, random detail, this is the only moment where you see her with her hair pulled back in any way, and it's not nearly as long as it would be as you see it when it's she's, you know, in character, so to speak. It's the, so God, can, it's the Gotham wind. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's obvious she's wearing an ungodly amount of air extensions in the other scenes. Well, she has her um, cos- Batman is costume, she has a costume. Exactly. I approve of the costume, don't get me wrong. Um... And I like that Commissioner Gordon, you know, first of all, took a meeting with Bruce Wayne, and B, instead of figuring out this problem himself, sent him to a police psychiatrist that's from out of town. Like, we can't solve this problem, and Batman's not around. Go see this expert witness that came over to help us out. Now, what is Nicole Kidman coming off of? She was 95. She just, did uh, she do to die for yet? That was six months later. That was or, later. September, October. Yeah, 95 was a very good year. That was the year she broke out. That was the year she stopped being Tom Cruise's wife. Um, for better, you know, for better or worse, uh, arguably for better. Um, I don't know what she did offhand right before this. Well, she had far, right? and, far and away. And that was ninety-two. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking it up now, but. Okay, yeah. I'll let you make the type. There's, of there's my life, and which is a Michael Keaton movie. Ironic. That's a darn good movie. <laughs> um, and uh, Malice. That's another fun little movie. Aaron Sorkin wrote that. Yes. Um. So yeah, she's, yeah. I mean, yeah, far like. I guess yeah, far far and away, right? Like, and I guess Days of Thunder, but I mean, those are like the biggest movies that she's was involved in prior to Batman Forever. So, and, and she actually got this role when Michael Keaton originally, when Michael Keaton dropped out, originally they were going to have Renee Russo in this role, but she was deemed too old, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Because you know she's like a year older than Val Kilmer or something. I mean, it's it's a negligible negligible amount. Negligible. I give up. Yep. <laughs> Negligible amount. Yes. Yes. Um, what did Jill Schumacher just come off of? Um, he had Falling Down in 93. What about Flat, what was Flat The Money? Client. 
Flat, Flatliners was like 90 or something. The client oh. was 1994. Oh, the clients. Okay. And it's interesting. And I've, I've thought this a lot and when he did write about it, but I wonder where Joe Schumacher's career would be if he, he had stopped at Batman Forever. I mean, because Batman and Robin, fairly or not, did such damage to his career. Such, I mean, he will be known for that. That will be the, his, the first line in his obituary. And yet, he's made a lot of pretty decent or at least interesting films. He, up until that um, point, he had, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. He gets the credit, you know, kid-friendly Batman, blah, blah, blah. But he was actually known for dark, adult-centric fare. You know, he didn't get this film because, he, you know, he did Disney cartoons. Um, he was sort of as a happy medium between the hardcore darkness of Burton and someone more, you know, he was known for art in films like Falling Down, Flatliners, uh, The Lost Boys, and, you know, what have you. Um, and even after that, he's done, he's continued to do interesting films. Like, I, yeah. I, I really like Phone Booth and Tigerland. I, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Um, um, I didn't like number 23. That no, 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 no one liked number 23. But, yeah. um, I mean, for, I, I like the first half. I'll, I'll give you that. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the, the 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 characters are more interesting than the story they get caught up in. Who plays this ringmaster guy? I have no idea. Is that anyone that went on to do anything? I don't know. I'll try to look it up now. What do you guys uh, think of his uh, Phantom of the Opera? Um, I'm not a fan of the show, so I thought it wasn't no better or worse. Yeah. It's, show. it's long. Think, That's what I think of it. I think if they had cast Antonio Banderas instead of Gerald Butler, it would have won a couple Oscars. Uh, just Gerard Butler was so awful and couldn't sing worth a crap that it just capsized the project by itself. Yeah, but he looked great. <laughs> yeah, but he couldn't sing. I mean, he couldn't sing. I, you know, I distinctly remember seeing the film, and it was a couple weeks after it came out, and, you know, he shows up about 30 minutes in, and he does Phantom of the Opera, and I turn to my friend, and I'm like, oh, my God. I heard he was bad, but this is, this is horrible. And I'm trying not to laugh because it's in a somewhat crowded theater. And Phantom of the Opera ends, and we start hearing the opening bars of Music of the Night. And I turn to my friend, and I go, oh, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt bad. <laughs> and it did. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I, maybe it wouldn't have won Oscars. But I think it's a perfectly accurate rendition of a kind of silly show. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the only fatal flaw is that they cast the wrong guy as the Phantom. Um. I'm not a fan of 8mm, just because I think it gets really, really Puritan in the second half. Um, I find a lot of Schumacher's films to be weirdly moralistic. In a, you, know, you have you know, a time to kill which says, you know, it's okay to open fire in a crowded courtroom if your child gets raped. And then you've got you know, 8mm that says, if you watch somewhat off-the-beaten-path pornography, you are a sadistic homicidal sex murderer. And your soul is doomed. And then you get the phone booth where it's basically, he's guilty because he thought about cheating. He didn't actually do it, but he thought about cheating. See, yeah, I, I, can, I can agree with you on that point, but I do, like, I think Colin Farrell's strong enough in that film that it works. Oh, okay. yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good entertainment. I didn't have issues with, with the film's morality, but whatever. And, and obviously, bad company's good because if you have a twin brother, <laughs> then automatically you could be a secret agent. I think that's... <laughs> Did you see his latest with uh, Nick Cage? I desperately want to see Trespass and laugh oh. horrendously at it. <laughs> uh, I have not seen it yet. It's unwatchable. I, I did see, and I don't remember what it's called, it's the Blood Creek. Oh, uh, yeah. It was, okay. I mean, yeah, it, 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 it looks and feels like a direct-to-DVD horror movie, which is what it is. Yeah. But 
as far as those go, you can tell there's an actual director behind the camera, and that's but, the best thing I can say about it. Just to talk to, to talk about uh, to talk about Batman Forever for a bit, I do like these scenes that show the thanks. <laughs> I like these scenes that you know show the Graysons and show their their familiar bond and how they're you know comfortable with each other. And I like the because the film eventually echoes those shots later at the end where you have them joining hands and you know showing showing the partnership pay off. I like I like how it sets that up here. I also like that Tommy Lee Jones decided to have enough time to set up a ringmaster costume for his invasion of the circus. Well, he's committed to the draft. He's, he's a character. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I could be mistaken, I'm pretty sure, is Gossip Gertie Bill, Bill, uh, Bob Kane's widow? Yeah. Okay, I just, I, that's not that. Um, but, and she's in uh, Batman and Rome as well. Yes, she is. Um, and, and there is a friend, a, a fellow... Uh, a guy that, that works with her during these films, he's a, a tall black man with a mustache and a, a, a crop haircut. I want to point him out when I see him because I actually looked at the guy just offhand when I first moved out here, just sort of looking around, looking at screenplays and stuff. Uh, but he's not in this shot, so I'll point him out if I ever see him. Not him. I love that George Wallace is the mayor. Yeah, yes. right? Um, and I, I like the fact that he, again, he's, you know, in this film, more than really any others, he's Bruce Wayne first. So when, you know, he's willing to give up being Batman, give up Batman to lives because this is more important. I like Emily Jones is smart enough to realize that, you know, a really super duper rich guy is probably Batman. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I love him. He immediately says, I'm Batman. I'm not going to, you know, let the circus get blown up to keep the secret. I think it's a, it, if if the film was a little different, I think that'd be a stronger scene. But I do like that. I do like that he yeah. you know he comes out and says, I mean, in order to protect this room full of people, he he comes out and says, I'm Batman. Like that's yeah. that could have been a more powerful moment. Well, I I, I, think, I don't think it was meant to be a big turning point. You know, obviously a different film that could be the big second act reveal. Yeah, when yeah. he comes out to you know save a bunch of people. Um, let's see. Why is the bomb pulled up to the roof again? So no one can jump it, down and stop it, of it, course. It, <laughs> uh, I do like that the Graysons are, you know, well we're, well, we're acrobats. We can get to that. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, I know what I'm going to complain about. And this is the movie, and I, no, I've seen this in real life. I, for the life of me, never understand why they have certain acts where they say, ha-ha, we're not going to have a net. Like, you know what? I am really impressed by the acrobatics you can do. I don't want to worry about watching you get killed doing, you know, doing, see those acrobats. You know what? Keep the net. And just do the tricks anyway. I'll be just as impressed if you have a net as if you don't. Because if they had had a net here, they would have been killed. What do we think of Chris O'Donnell in this film? I think he's fine. Yeah, I, uh, I think he's uh, quite strong. Although I think... I, I feel it's obvious that the script was written for someone a lot younger than Chris O'Donnell. I agree with that, yeah. Um, there are certain moments it's like, huh, that doesn't seem appropriate for towards toward some man in his like late 20s. I, yeah, I guess especially in like the scene where he's like cruising in the Batmobile and whatnot. The way that scene kind of plays out, Chris O'Donnell, he does look a little older than, I guess, what the film is trying to go for with how they're presenting Dick Grayson. Uh, well, I, I think... Well, I'm you know, they, in the next movie, actually, than this. Um, I think they just wanted to teen up that character. And, but they even Chris O'Donnell, even though I don't know how old he was when he made this film offhand, but he does look a little, you know, he looks like somebody just started college. He looks like Nightwing. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually. And of course, there is just a joke that way later. And, and the fact that um, he has to be left in someone's care. But, well, does he really? He's <laughs> not 12. And he, he's probably, yeah. I guess he spent all his circus money on something else. So. <laughs> 25 years old. 24, I guess, when he was filming this movie. Uh, wow. That's, he looks it, too. That's the problem. Um, he has an earring. So. And ironically, his age actually worked to Batman and Robin's favor. Because one of the whole arcs of the film is Bruce Wayne has to realize that this kid isn't his son. It's his brother. You know, metaphorically speaking, it's not his son. It's his brother. Mm-hmm. You know, that he, you know, that, 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 you know, he, he may want to treat this kid as family, but it's not the kind of relationship he's thinking of. Um, something yeah, I, I did. Go ahead. Just so, something I like. I mean, this is just real quick, but I like something I like about this scene is that um, in Val Kilmer, you know, adopting Dick Grayson for the time being, he, he mentions Metropolis, which I, I just found, I find that neat that, they are aware that this movie exists in the wider universe. Um, that never plays yeah. out at all, but he does say, you know, yeah. Metropolis is just, you know, over there. Like he, he casually passes it off. And it, yeah, if it there is. was ever going to be some kind of justice league movie, the, the sur- <laughs> um, and of course today that line would be followed by a hundred thousand blog posts. explaining what there's a clue. There's gonna be a crossover in the next movie. Yeah. But no, it's just a funny line guys. Yeah, it didn't pay off until that uh, double saw in the background of I Am Legend, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is something I loved when I saw that, too. It was like, yeah. well, that was, that's pretty good on you, Warner Brothers, for making that joke. Like, the world may have made it, but at least we got a Batman-Superman film. <laughs> well, maybe the, no, maybe people might probably be pissed off because the world ended and they didn't get to have the Batman-Superman film. <laughs> <laughs> it was coming out next month. There it is. The circus must be halfway to Metropolis. Yeah. Uh, no, but I will say that you know, this isn't a minority opinion or anything. It's the the relationship that works best is, is Dick Grayson and Alfred. Um, Don O'Donnell and Guff are wonderful together. Um, they, I would argue, make this movie as good as this right, from a you know dramatic standpoint. I agree with I mean, that. Yeah, uh, and it works. I, I think it works just because. Yeah, but, I mean, Goff is he's an older Alfred for sure, but he, he I like I like his wryness. It works in the in these films. Um, it also because it makes more sense for him to be a father figure to a 27-year-old Griffin. Um, and, and I think Michael Guffio elevates Batman and Robin, too. I love his scenes with, with George Clooney. I think they're as good as anything else in any other Batman movie you can think of. Um, I, I, like, I, I, I like Bruce Wayne's kind of casual, like, way to get Dick Grayson to stay with them, where he just kind of, he presents this, like, amazing garage full of work that Dick Grayson could be working on. He just, he's just passively standing around saying, you know, if you want, I, could, I need a mechanic. Bruce is a clever guy. <laughs> now, I never understood that. If he's gonna, he's got two, and he's gonna have him fix one and give him to him as a fee. What's the point of having a fix? He's going to give it to him anyway. Bruce Wayne is a good, he's a clever guy. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> he knows what's up. So and that that Alfred look, right here too. <laughs> that does look like a good piece of meat. I'll see if the dogs are hungry. And scene. And this is where you get to hear Bruce Wayne origin again. And you got to say I have a line here a minute, you know, a minute from now We said a monster came out of the dark and shot them. And again, that's, that's intentional or not. It was a, a distance this film from the Burton films. 
He didn't specifically say, you know, Jack Napier or he who eventually became the Joker. Whatever. So in a weird way, although this, there's certainly a lot of connective tissue between this film and the first film, this could have been a new part one if they had so chosen. You know, there's nothing, this, not, there's nothing a new viewer needs to know to enjoy this film that isn't in this film. Bam, here's Batman's origin. That's all you need to know. Um, it's well done. It, it certainly, I mean, I like these scenes. It reflects, I mean, Schumacher's uh, theatrical backgrounds, too, I think. And just, you know, you have all this steam and smoke coming out and backlit and just the color use. And, and this, this is obviously closer to the classic Frank Miller shot that everybody likes to rip off. Um, you know, they have roses as opposed to, and I like the Tim Burton film, they had popcorn, just because it was a more mundane thing to have. Um, and this diary leads up to a huge chunk of deleted material. And this is basically, the funny thing about the deleted scenes is it basically cut out the entire moral of the story. Basically, and I'm going to try to be brief as possible, Bruce Wayne, watching Dick Grayson's parents die, triggers sort of a you know, post-traumatic stress of his own parents' death. He brings out long-held guilt over the idea that he is responsible for his parents' death. And this book is a diary that he read on the night of the, parents of the funeral, basically saying that, they only went out to the movies because he nagged them and wanted to go to the movies. Hence, it's his fault that they got killed. I'm responsible, blah, blah, blah. Well, what he finds out at the end, after he gets shot in the head and wakes up no memory and goes into the Batcave, and this is all the material, that yes, they wanted to go to the movie, but they insisted on seeing Zorro, even though Bruce wanted to see a cartoon. And his mind, however you know, small a detail that is, he is now not responsible for his parents' death. Thus, he doesn't have to be Batman if he doesn't want to. He can choose to be. And that's the whole point of the final line with the Riddler. I'm Batman and Bruce Wayne because I have to be because I choose to be. Anyway. Yeah, it's weird that uh, in this cut, the, the, the book just disappeared from the subplot. And for first half, but it's, it's a big part of the movie. Um, and you know, of all the cuts to make, I, I, I don't know why they cut that out. I mean, yeah, the giant bat was kind of silly, but they could have fixed that if they wanted to. Um, and, you know, watching the, the 10 minutes, 12 minutes or so deleted footage, there's certainly stuff they could have kept while cutting the stuff that related to subplots that they ended up cutting. Yeah, you could have less, you know, um, Riddler, Two-Face montage yeah. of them having fun, happy times shooting brain goo yeah. into each other. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, this film is actually sort of a preview of what would go along with Batman and Robin, which is you have a relatively serious... And I would say perfectly fine hero, you know, dramatic story involving Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson, Alfred, and in the next film, obviously, uh, uh, Barbara Pennyworth, whatever. And then you have this completely disconnected, wacky, campy villain story that just neuters a lot of the drama, neuters a lot of the seriousness. Now, this film is certainly a little bit darker than Batman and Robin, and the villains are more directly tied into the heroes, but it's still the same problem. You have a very serious, dramatic story and then you have just absolutely ridiculous out of left field campy villain moments. Uh, and I think that was just because again, they were, they, you know, it's no secret that Batman returns scared the crap out of a lot of kids. And most of the quote unquote scary stuff came from the villains. So there was a certain emphasis on making sure the villains were not scary this time around. Um, that said Batman returns, which I saw when I was quite young and I, I loved it, but, um, Penguin's death scene in that movie is one of my favorite death scenes of movies in general. Oh, it's beautiful. It's it's powerful stuff. And the music is the awesome. The music's great, that yeah. Yeah. Um 
No, I, mean, I saw that when I was 12, and yeah, it was a little disconcerting, but I wasn't crying in the aisles. It was like, you know, this is a disturbing movie because it's supposed to be disturbing. That's the way it works sometimes. Here's another wonderful costume from Two-Face. <laughs> uh, pretty much half the body, more than half the body count in the movie is right in this scene right here. Because he's about to kill six of his own men. Well, he kills two right here, and then in the chase, you know, he drives up the wall, and two or two other cars crash into a wall and blow up. And if we assume there's two henchmen in each car, he just killed six of his own men. Which, how many did he have in the first place? He rents them. There's a, oh, yeah. there's a Gotham outlet. So. You know, if there really was, you know, or you know, superheroes and supervillains, that would be a great business. You know, <laughs> yeah. the, the middleman who, you know, farms out henchmen. I like, like the, a I like the Batmobile here. I, like, I just like I like Batmobiles that have gadgets. It's fun. It's fun stuff. Um, I like all the glowy bits. It looks like Ghostbusters. Technology yeah, it, yeah. This Batmobile is certainly not one for stealth like the first two Batmobiles were. Well, you know, because the Nolan Batmobile is totally about stealth. <laughs> I mean, it, it's <laughs> it worked. You remember Batman yeah. Begins? He's he's fly, he's soaring through the night on the freeway in that in that car. Yeah, he has stealth mode. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one looks funny. this one looks like the like the most complex Trojan condom you could ever have. Yes, um, which is ironic because Mister Freeze's mobile in the in the fourth film looks like a giant penis. <laughs> um, this this chase scene is completely pointless, and we never find out why the bat signal was shining in the sky in the first place. Yeah, and all of a sudden it just. Cuts to him being chased yeah. by them. Um, yeah, there's no reason for this scene. It's just like we got this new bat, uh, yeah, Batmobile on you. One car, two. Oh wait, three car. Wait, that's eight deaths. Wow, this film almost. This has a double digit body count. Congratulations. Let's see. Wasn't <laughs> being family friendly again? Well, they're all henchmen. They're allowed to be killed. Because <laughs> it, it has this amazing shot of like, what's going yes. on outside my window? <laughs> nice, he doesn't run anybody over. Hey, what's that? I to say. He's flying on rooftops. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. You you made the comment a while ago about or a minute ago about gadgets in the Batmobile. Because really, when you look at the nineteen, you know, the, the four Batman films from eighty nine to ninety seven, they really were the James Bond films of their day, in my opinion. In that. They delivered the kind of big-scale action entertainment that were completely in their own league compared to anything else in the genre. Um, you know, when you go back and you look at even stuff that, you know, The Shadow or, you know, Dick Tracy, which I love, but, you know, the... the, the that retro big, 90s superheroes era. Yeah, but the Batman films really were in a league of their own in terms of big-scale entertainment. Um, and this film cost $100 million in 1995, which was one of the three or four most expensive films of all time. Uh, in fact, uh, Terminator, True Lies, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park was sixty-five. Waterworld, right? Waterworld. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. same summer, same summer. Yes. So, okay, by the end of nineteen ninety-five, this was probably in like the top six. You got Die Hard three somehow cost a hundred million. This cost a hundred million. Waterworld cost one hundred seventy-five. True Lies cost one hundred twenty, and Terminator two cost a hundred. Um, and this is of course the entrance to the Riddler. But first, we and, have to get through Debbie Mazur and Drew Barrymore in this movie for some reason. For some random one in the sure run spice. Although um, Debbie Mazur could have made a good Harley Quinn. Yeah. That is true. Although Drew Barrymore looks more like her out of costume. Yeah. 
Merge um, them together, and you have Harley Quinn. That's what we've learned from this. Now, now, now that the Riddler is about to show up, I want to point something else that I like about his performance. A Jim Carrier gets, excuse me, Jim Carrey gets zanier and zanier as the film goes on. His madness actually grows through the course of the film. Moreover, his wardrobe gets zanier and zanier over the course of the film. <laughs> yes. Uh, it goes from this suit that you're about to see him in, which is basically a normal green suit that looks like something out of the animated series with, with uh, John Glover, to in the finale where he's wearing the weird white you know, glitter suit. It helps when he's jogging at night. Exactly. Um, I do like his disco death trap room later on in the movie. But um, <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like the, the beginning of the movie, like, okay, just, you know, I want you to go over the top. And then I want you to use that to go even further over the top. And then by the end of the movie, there is no top anymore because he's gone so far over it. It's, you know, it looks like Google Earth now because he's so far over the top. It's just incredible. And I, and I think the implication, if you want to give this movie too much credit, is that his brain is being screwed up by all the, the, the information that he's downloading into his head. That's fair to say. I think it implies that pretty heavily. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's actually a scene where he's sort of just sucking down knowledge and basically drooling. Yeah. Um, a splash of blood, something you don't see much of in this movie. Um, with with the exception of the scene where Bruce Wayne gets grazed in the head by a bullet, there is not a drop of blood in this entire film. Again, that was a clear reaction to you know Batman Returns and the first Batman, which had a lot of you yeah, know, the first violent, bloody violence. They're both violent films. Yeah. Um, here's a here's a question, um, which I've kind of thought about, but. Regardless of how good we think these films are versus the Burton films and obviously the Nolan films, but up to this point, would this be considered maybe the most faithful Batman movie compared to the two Burton films? Um, it depends on again, which Batman. I, I, I mean, it's different I've, I've long said, at least with the four first four films, you know, the first Batman, that's basically 1939 to 1941. Uh, it's very very gothic, very, you know, incredibly violent, somewhat thin characters, over-the-top characters, but not exactly particularly deep. And then you have the, the Batman Returns, which is sort of the late 80s, early 90s, where everything's very, very dark and psychologically disturbed and everybody's, you know, miserable and, and there's less of a body count, but the violence hurts more. Um, and then this, which, you know, as I said at the beginning, is more the 1970s Denny O'Neill, uh, uh, Neil Adams... You know, Cape Crusader era, where Batman is a do-gooding adventurer, uh, Avenger. The criminals are scared by him, but the innocent people are not. Um, the villains still kill people, but they're not particularly scary. Uh, and it, it's a delicate balance. And then, of course, the fourth film, which a lot of people say is just like the TV show, I would disagree. The TV show is smarter about its camp. Oh, my God, the, yes. <laughs> the In my mind, the fourth film is basically the late 50s to early 60s where just the comic books were just a wash. They were cheesy, they were goofy, they had you know, science fiction, aliens, time travel, whatever, where you know, really the book almost got canceled before the TV show made it, you know, Batman to a cultural icon. Um, so is this film faithful to the to the time period that it wants to be? Yes, very much so, in my opinion. Okay. Other so. other than Two Face. Yeah. yeah. Uh Two Face is there's no version of Two Face that this resembles. That's, um, that's a good assessment of all the films, I guess. I, yeah. Thank you. Um, and even, I don't, you know, know count, I don't know if it counts, but where would you put Mask of the Phantasm on that? Um, would that be like um, your more 40s noir, uh, like, you know, 40s, uh, late 40s, early 50s noir Batman? Uh, yeah. 
because I mean, you know, the the Bruce Tim, Radimsky, Paul Dini, whatever they always talked about. You know, the animated series was basically mixing everything in with again, sort of an emphasis on the 1970s, where Batman was a psychologically tortured guy that wasn't a psychotic jerk. You know, he he was still in control of his mental facilities. He was in pain, but he wasn't taking it on everybody else. Uh, but yeah, the, the 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 art design is obviously meant to you know emulate the 1940s. Um, Where's that but, Blu-ray? Damn it! <laughs> um, if I, I don't mean to plug up my one podcast on another, but if you guys haven't heard the um, the Kevin Smith series uh, Fat Man and Batman, yeah, I, I, oh, have, I have those downloaded. I haven't listened to them yet, but yeah, he interviews yeah, he uh, a two-hour interview with uh, Paul Dini to start it off with. He's interviewed, uh, interviewed Mark Hamill, uh, Tara Strong. He's talking to a lot of people involved with the animated series. And oh, Paul Dini the- episode alone is worth the download. Uh, he talks about working on. Scott Albert and the Cosby Kids is his first animation job, and a lot of really great stories. Um, well, this is the 20th anniversary of Batman Animated Series. Yes. Yeah. Um, September 1992. And this scene's goofy, but I guess it works. Now, what's interesting, and again, we're getting deleted scenes, so bear with me here. The whole point of this whole crime spree is that the Riddler's gadget was basically sending Batman false signals. So where he, you know, the Riddler and Two-Face were not where he thought they were going to be. Hence, he would be humiliated and then Riddler, you know, Two-Face and Riddler would be able to commit their crimes in peace. That, that seems, was the whole, that's, yeah. That makes, why would that be deleted out of this movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. And, and that's not even a deleted scene. I mean, there's a deleted scene that implies it without explaining it. But I only know that because I read the original script. Oh, huh, like that, that makes so much more sense as to like why they're getting away with all this ridiculous amount of crime. Yeah. Um, yeah, where is the Batman? Good question. Also, um, when he says that he used the machine to find Two Face's lair, I never understood that because he had never used the machine. I yeah. I don't understand that one either. Um, but no, minor plot hole. Whatever. <laughs> uh, I wonder who has these. <laughs> is it in the Bat Smithsonian somewhere? I wish and- there was such a museum. They I, never make an attempt to dust those for fingerprints. He they, I, he did deleted. That's his timing. I mean, we can't we can't just watch Bruce Wayne test for fingerprints. <laughs> that's like a whole twenty minutes. I mean, they're not going to show the scene that explains why Batman can't stop the Riddler and Two Face. We're not going to see the scene of him dusting off a uh, riddle for two for fingerprints. Yeah, uh, and this is of course. Remember when wearing an earring made you cool? Yep. No. Now, that's, no, I don't. that's one of my favorite lines of like this whole these first four movies yeah. in general. That's where Master Wayne's best dead wives. Like, that's that's an amazing like dry Alfred Reed. Right there. <laughs> uh, and I love that that Bruce Wayne never even considers that. Hey, this guy used to work for me. He's got a toy that's exactly like something that I turned down, and he quit right after the guy that turned him down magically killed himself even though he would never actually kill himself as he says he just he never puts two and two together he never even considers that you know the riddler might be edward nigma bruce wayne's got things in his mind scott i mean come on he he's has a fractured psyche going on dealing with his dead parents <laughs> he's just adopted some orphan boy harvey <laughs> dent has passed his former friend has turned into this vicious monster criminal and dr chase meridian's throwing him all kinds of cock teases i mean what else is that you know that's enough on his plate fair enough <laughs> Why should Batman be concerned about finding out who the bad guy is? He's a, cl- he's a clever guy. He'll, he'll do it. 
He's got, it's, uh, it's called priorities. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you have a point. Um, it's funny you mentioned about his friend Harvey Dent, a, a subplot that gets a single line of dialogue right at the end of the film. Yeah, um, uh, where Tommy Lee Dent's like, thanks, Bruce, you always were a good friend. Exactly. Like, uh, what? <laughs> I always um, thought it was weird uh, Billy Williams played uh, Harvey Dent. Or not, was it Billy Williams? Yes, Billy Dent. Yes, Billy Williams. Lando Dent. Imagine yeah. him as two face. Yeah, it would have been that. Uh, I would have liked to see that. I'm sure Billy D. Williams thought he was happy to see that too, and that, you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> well, he said one of the reasons. He, instead, he became the double-maker of yes. Batman movies. I re- they really should do something together. Uh a funnier die sketch or a commercial, I don't know, something. With the, they have to acknowledge their 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 stolen fates. With who again? With uh, Robin Williams and No no Billy D. Williams. Billy who, D. Williams and Dylan Baker. Billy, Billy D. Williams, Dylan Baker, Robin Williams, Marlon Wayne's is Robin, you know. Oh yes. All yes. these things. For um, people that don't know Marlon Wayne's, he screen tested and was pretty much set to be Robin in the in the supposed yeah. third Batman film by Tim Burton and even at the yep. end of the of ba- or even in Batman, Batman yeah. Returns at some point. He, he was a basically a you know the kid uh, in Batman Returns with the idea that he would eventually become Robin. Um, Tim Burton really a big supporter of African Americans in the Batman universe apparently. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> and now Alfred kills Dick Grayson. <laughs> we never see from him again. <laughs> uh, so someone breaks into the Batcave. Instead of shutting everything down, it just activates. Yeah, activates. <laughs> it shows you everything. <laughs> that's it. that's not a good security. Well, system. because he entered in through the front door. If he entered in through the, the super slide as well, it also would have activated. But if he if he broke into the bat cave, then clearly like he'd get mauled by the bat tiger or something. <laughs> I mean, the tiger kinda... would be wearing a little cowl. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe this this is me. I'm always surprised that more people don't know about Bruce Wayne's parents. I mean, I think that'd be a pretty big part of his trivia. Oh, like into, like people of Gotham don't know about yeah. Bruce Wayne's parents? You know, she doesn't know this. Dick Grayson has no idea. Uh, now, he's from out of town, so maybe he just, you know, but... I'd like to I, think, I, I think his records were expunged or sorry. Yeah. He had them suppressed. I, I, you know, I think if, for example, you know, Donald Trump's parents were murdered in front of his eyes when he was nine... Most people would know that. No, because we, we'd have to see his birth certificate, too, and it'd be common. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I always wish uh, – this is has nothing to do with anything on screen right now, but I always wish Jim Gordon was given more to do in this series as a whole. Oh, God, yes. I mean, he's and just – he, he just – especially Batman and Robin, he just becomes – he becomes Marcus Brody in Last Crusade. He's just kind of bumbling. And the irony of that is Batman and Robin is the one movie where he actually does get something to do. He gets something to do, but he just kind of yeah, becomes – Yeah. It's kind of comes entranced by poison. I was like, oh, yeah. I can smell things. Yeah, you know, he actually you know saves the lives of all of his men. Blah blah blah. Um, but no, in all four of these movies, that's my biggest regret is that they didn't make Commissioner Gordon a you know a forceful character. And that's one of the things I love about you know the Nolan films. Although, as much as I love Batman Begins, Gordon is dangerously close to being a clownish character in the second half of Batman Begins. Um, and it's one of the reasons I love Gordon is you know Oldman in the Dark Knight. Is yes, this is the Gordon that I've always wanted to see on screen. Oh yeah, um, I was happier for that for just the ex- announcement in Batman Begins of like Gary Oldman's gonna play yeah. Jim Gordon. This just this movie just got amazing. Like, well, yeah, I was like, wait a minute, isn't he a villain? And that's interesting because you know, ten years, you know, eight years, nine years later, whatever, you have an entire generation of younger audiences that think of Gary Oldman as the 
you know, sort of the stand-in for, you know, martyred virtue, you know, between Jim Gordon and Sirius Black. Yep. He's the tortured do-gooder. Like, that's not Gary Oldman. That got me that's, into that got me into the third Harry Potter movie, where because I was really? I, I saw the well I saw the first the I was I had a girlfriend at the time who was really into Harry Potter and I hadn't seen the films up to when the third film came out and so I rented the first two and I watched I'm like all right those, those are okay and then I saw the third film and I had I like literally just didn't do any research on it I just didn't really care that much I was like all right I'll go see this movie and I was like happy because I'm like oh Gary Oldman's here well this movie just got amazing as he's screaming into a newspaper and Alfonso <laughs> Alfonso, Alfonso Curion's Koran's uh, direction was like, oh, this, I like this. It's not balls along like the first two movies, so that's a, a plus. Uh. <laughs> it's so funny that he's looked at the virtual because when he started his career, he had a whole, uh, um, you know, uh, repertoire of, of crazy outsiders. I mean, Sid and Nancy and the professional, and then his role as Jack in State of Grace with that Harrison uh, Dracula. I mean, he made a whole career for a while. Oh. Yeah, exactly. He made a, a whole career of like playing outsiders and weirdos and then he ends up you know 180 in, in the dark night in the third Harry Potter movie uh, and it's it's funny because I used to have a you know a running joke or whatever that you know Gary Oldman probably had a run there where he died in like every film he was in he was the Sean Bean of his time um to the point, <laughs> to, to the point where you know I assume everybody here has seen all the Harry Potter movies right yeah well he gets cast in part three as Sirius Black and I said to myself almost in a joke, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't work. Sirius Black doesn't die at the end of part three. Then, of course, when I read part five, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, and I always joke that, you know, he wouldn't sign on to part three until J.K. Rowling showed him the manuscript to part five. <laughs> like, no, no, don't worry, Gary. You die eventually. Like, okay, I'll do it. Uh, and I also think that they faked Jim Gordon's death in Dark Knight just as a joke. A prank <laughs> like people like me that obsessively pay attention to Gary Oldman dying on screen. I, I was deeply saddened and then quite greatly relieved when Jim Gordon came back in Dark Knight. But let's get back to Batman Forever. Um, the line when, you, when they say uh, Bat Boy. Yeah. Like, he, he could easily be Batman. Um, and this is Don the Dragon Wilson. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> was, I guess, a big deal in the 90s. I don't remember that much. Yeah. Uh, and ironically, yeah. this is probably the best action scene in the film. It's a good one. It's very, it's visually dynamic, but it has some good like action stuff going on. Yeah. Like the earlier action sequence, the big one that began the film, you can kind of clearly see the edits going on because the bat suit is so, you know, incapable yeah. of movement. But here you have, you know, a spry Chris O'Donnell doing flips and shit. Like he's, <laughs> he's, he's making this work and it, it looks fairly cool, even though he had to go with the old line. Oh yeah, I forgot my suit. All right. But you know, after that, like the thing, you know. This becomes uh, fun. It even has a it has the musical swell moment when he kisses the girl after saving her. I remember when I was fifteen, this scene always annoyed me because I liked the bit in Batman Returns where Catwoman basically chastised the mugging victim for playing the damsel in distress cliche. And then the next film they actually do the full blown damsel in distress cliche. <laughs> the fire literally gets like brighter like, in the oh, scene. Oh, <laughs> um and again, you know, as light and happy as this film is for much of it, you have to ask, what were they going to do to her when they caught her? They were going to teach her how to play Parcheesi. I mean, of course, of course. Oh, there's Jigsaw. Oh, wait, no, that was just... <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know that Scientology has a wonderful plan for your life? No, obviously, yeah. This is, yeah. This is <laughs> That's where they're taking her. I do uh, like that also, apparently, Bruce Wayne and Alfred have Dick Tracy phones on their hands. That's really... Yes. Uh, and this is interesting. You'd think... Like, 10,000 thugs would not be afraid of Batman. He's Batman. You know, they easily could have taken him. Uh, especially, fight, fight you know, in... Abe sticks? 
and especially in this universe where he's not that scary. I mean, yeah, he could beat the crap out of you, but if there's a hundred of you, you might win. I like. Okay, for, first off, Chris O'Donnell, or Robin, I guess, he has a drastic change of heart when he sees Batman between being very lighthearted and happy about yes. fighting off these guys. Suddenly he's, you murdered my Batman! Like, it's just like, wow, where'd this intensity all of a sudden come from? But... Well, I, I think it was sort of, he was, you know, he was blowing off steam, and then the very person that caused his anger screwed up his anger. You know, it sort of wrecked his fun. Yeah, but it seems like, I mean... Yeah. He's. I'm. I'm. I'm stretching here. He, I'm grasping I mean, he, straws. He broke into the Batcave. He could have. Seen, he could have just not driven the Batcar and waited for Bruce to yeah. come to beat the crap out of him. But instead, yeah. he, he like has a, a beat. Well, I guess he's. Just, I guess it. It also. I guess. Um. We can. And we can, doesn't help that scene either. No, it doesn't. We can. We can take this back to the fact that Chris O'Donnell is older than it seems like the movie wants this version of Dick Grayson to be. If it was like a teenager, a much clearer teenager, you could. I can easily recognize that mood swift mood swing a little more. I could take that in a little better, I guess. Yeah. See, it's oh. a good thing they don't uh, count, uh, you know, people that are in their late 20s teenagers anymore in superhero movies. Oh, wait, wait, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just did. Andrew Garfield's 29. Yeah, but he doesn't look a day over 29. I like uh. this, uh, this Bruce Wayne pep talk here. I mean, he, he acknowledges, the, again, the death of Jack Napier, essentially. Yeah. How he's still doing this. And you'd think he would have, you know, he would have, if I were Bruce Wayne, I would have mentioned this, you know, six or seven scenes ago. You know, all he has to do is say, hey, my parents were killed too. And, you know, you have an immediate bond between the two of them. Bro hug, let's get hot chocolate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that is kind of true. You could kill him. I wonder what Alfred's state of mind in all this is, just because he is encouraging Dick Grayson on purpose. Like, does he want him to join up in the fight for crime? Or I don't know. It almost seems like he's encouraging Dick Grayson to be, you know, Robin, for like, you know, under the hope that 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 light, you know, comparative lightness will help Bruce Wayne, you know, pull back from the abyss. So basically, he's sacrificing Dick Grayson to help Bruce Wayne. Um, that's one weird way to look at it. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't have an answer to that question. What I is do that? Like this music. What What is that thing? <laughs> uh, I do like this music. And of course, we have Jim Carrey as Edward Nigma as Bruce Wayne. I like the, uh, the the gossip Gotham News journalist person here, and just <laughs> the right here. Oh, it's Bruce Wayne! Like it's just. <laughs> Remember when that was satire? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Where's the mole? There it is. He's <laughs> like added a mole on himself to like make himself distinctive. Just the way he's going for this look. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, really, just going straight straight for being Bruce. Met the where's the. Huh. I love you, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I just say, you know, because I have nothing really else interesting to offer. Nicole Kidman looks amazing in this scene. Yes. Uh, it's no it's no secret that they used that costume and that, you know, whatever, as the all of her marketing. You know, the posters, the banners, the trailers, etc. 
I have a poster of Batman Forever in my in the room that I'm in right now that I'm looking at that has plenty of Nicole Kidman and her cleavage in full view. And the hair. Oh my god. Oh, and the, the hair. hair. The hair. Um What's Drew Barrymore? Drew Barrymore is in this movie. She's she, was she dating Chris O'Donnell at the time? I think that's No, it was just this was just sort of when she was making her quote unquote comeback, you know, as being a you know, sort of past the child actress stage. And this was sort of, hey, look, I'm in a Batman movie. She did date um, Chris O'Donnell, though, I believe. She might have. They were in a movie together that came out about a month Bad before. Bad Love. Bad, yes. yes. Uh, which was one of those movies that was much darker than the trailers implied. Because she was mad. Yes. Um, yay, gender stereotypes. Woo! The movie star. <laughs> uh... That's nice. I like that. Maybe they're just good friends. <laughs> Chris O'Donnell and Drew Barrymore. Uh, I could randomly rant about other things right now. I just don't. Uh, I'll have something to say when the when Two Face shows up. Okay, we can um, talk about Chris O'Donnell. Uh, okay. Where, uh, let's see. He did this movie. What's he coming off of? He he had well, he had Senate of Woman in uh, yeah. ninety three. Circle Circle of Friends. Uh, that that black man behind him with the tuxedo and the top hair. Uh, I worked with him in the first year I was in L A. His name is Eli something or another. Huh. Uh, he did a. I mean, he 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 was a cameraman for a living. He wrote his own weird scripts. Uh, I don't want to say anything too weird about the guy. He was a nice man, but and he occasionally would do cameos in various movies from like the mid nineties. So occasionally I'd be watching like seven. It's like, hey, look, he's one of the SWAT men. Cool. Oh, Mad Love came out before Batman Forever by about a month. About a month. Yeah, yeah. I think it came out Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> the perfect movie. It came out Memorial yeah. Day. What, uh, what, alongside Giant Demonic, Casper, and Braveheart. Casper. Okay, I was like, that. and Braveheart? Braveheart came out? Yes. The same weekend? Uh, yep. I saw Casper in theaters. Didn't see Braveheart in theaters. <laughs> uh, I saw it on its second weekend. I uh, loved it. Uh, but it didn't do that well in its first release. Casper? No, uh, Braveheart. <laughs> Casper actually did very well. It opened with about $20 million. Spielberg. And ended up with 100 Spielberg. Yep. And Bill Pullman coming off of... No, not coming no, off. This no, was the year before Independence Day. Christina Ricci coming off of uh, Adam's Family. Family movies, yeah. Um, Three Musketeers, too, for Chris O'Donnell. Yes, that's where, I, that's where I first saw him from, was the Three Musketeers, which, frankly, I love. I know it's it's popular to bag on the Disney version. That's a fine movie. You've got Tim Curry, you've got Oliver Platt, you have Charlie Sheen before he was insane. You have Keith Sutherland basically playing Jack Bauer as a musketeer for all intents and purposes. Um, you have a power ballad in that movie. Yeah. Um, you have you know, Michael Wincott as, as his most congested. Um, and it's just a great red-blooded kids-friendly action film that happens to be just violent as all can be. Um, anyway. It's no steampunk Pearl W.S. S. Anderson movie. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Um, okay, two phases come here. <laughs> yay. And I love the just offhand conversation that Edward Nygma adds with Two-Face in public. Yeah, no, no one's looking. No one's looking. <laughs> Nobody's noticing this. Um, and Bruce Wayne runs away like a coward, as he always does. Yeah. Um, Debbie Mazur is not wearing a lot of clothing in this movie. <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> um... You say that like it's a bad thing. I don't. I don't mean to. It's, yeah. <laughs> she's. It's quite revealing. There's these guys again. 
I wonder if that's an actual band. Probably is. Yeah. And again, he's he's he, that's a crime. You're committing a felony right there. You're associating with a known felon in the, during the commission of a crime. And the fact that you're not trying to stop him means you're 80, basically aiding betting. Clear, clearly, he could just say, yeah, Two-Face threatened to kill me if I didn't have casual drinks with him during the <laughs> my big ball. <laughs> I like this entrance. Uh, I always like yeah. this a lot. This is just good uh, Batman. And this, even this guy shouting at the camera, it's Batman! Batman! <laughs> no, no kidding. <laughs> they don't even try to hit him there. That's pretty close. They shot those guns straight up in the air. And it's interesting because this scene, this very brief moment with them chit-chatting, was cut completely differently in the trailer. Uh, completely arbitrary editing choices. Um, and then, of course, Alfred's great line, I could be fired for this. I wonder if Buckingham's hiring. <laughs> and this is really the last... And this is the last pure action scene in the film. And... Another Indiana Jones reference. Yes. Uh, well, no, this, this was, you know, certainly trying to be more of a, you know, somewhat, I don't want to say generic, because that's not fair, you know, generic action-adventure picture for the whole family. Yeah, you're not trying, um, no one's trying to be generic. I mean, it's, trying, yeah, yeah. it's just trying to, it's, it's, traditional, trying, it's traditional. traditional and, yeah, more audience-friendly. Yeah. Um, and frankly, you know, to a certain extent, so is Batman Begins. I mean, everybody talks about it as it's so dark and gloomy and blah, blah, blah. Now, Chris Nolan came right out and said when the film came out, he was making an adventure film for 12-year-old boys. And really, it is. There's not a, a ton of violence. The body count's actually pretty low, especially since most of the you know carnage of the Narrows is completely off screen. It's a fun movie to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's, besides being it's a good fun. movie, it's a fun movie to watch. It, it gets a little, I guess, the most you know, mature aspect of it besides kind of the content is just that the fact that like the first 20 minutes are like per or 20 minutes or like 30 minutes purposely done to be kind of narratively configured in a certain way that yeah. feels like a Christopher Nolan film. But, um, but no, it's, it's, it's a fun, entertaining swashbuckling action picture. Um, this was really pointless on his end. What was he thinking? He could dive off a building right into their trap. Did it occur to him that maybe leaving that open for a reason? He had the high ground, so he thought he was good. Uh, Why is that yeah, purple? Why is what? Oh, the gas? It's Gotham Gotham gas. Everybody yeah. thinks Gotham gas is purple. And this is random fire suit that he never uses again or before. Uh, I do like the shot of him running out of the fire. That's one of the more, you know, personally iconic superhero shots in this film. Um... I like how the henchmen are also jumping in cheering. <laughs> They're all really proud. <laughs> we did it. We killed Batman. Oh, no way, bro. <laughs> he's very weathered here. He looks like he's about to pass out. Yeah, he doesn't exactly look like he'd stop Two-Face if he tried at this point. Which he basically no. does it because Two-Face still gets the better of him. Yeah. Um, and that would have been the end of him if not for uh, Dick Grayson. Oh, well. Apparently, it's not that hard to kill Batman. Yeah, you just need a mm -hmm. uh, an elaborate tunnel scheme, and you know Batman does like his tunnels, so you, you get him into yeah. one of those, and you, you know you hook, line, sinker. Um, but and this sort of goes back to something that I always wonder when I watch you know kids' cartoons is you have all these episodes like you know Turtles or Transformers, GI Joe, whatever, where the villain's plot almost works. It's going to work if not for some un you know unforeseen variable. 
So why don't they just try again? When in all likelihood, next time it will work. Anyway. That's a nice... Oh, yeah. I like the... I mean, the music works in these scenes, so that, that's yes. what helps. Um, I remember when I first saw Val Kilmer as Batman in the first trailer for this, I was relieved that the costume didn't look that different. That it really didn't feel like a radically different suit. I mean, yeah, everybody whines about the nipples, but I didn't even notice that until somebody put it out to me. I didn't either, actually. I, I, uh, I didn't notice bat nipples until it became a thing. Um, and frankly, who cares? Can I go on the record of saying, who cares about the bat nipples? Well, I don't care about the bat nipples per se, but I do care about the Batman and Robin's kind of, let's just mo like highlight montage shots of all the various parts of Batman's suit, just ass close-up, nipple close-up. Well, I think in Batman and Robin, that was more of a self-aware, ha-ha, we know you made fun of us for the last, this is the last movie. Yeah, but it also doesn't make a good movie. <laughs> so. oh, I agree, I agree. Um, Chris O'Donnell made that line about, uh, what's my name, Batman, boy, Nightwing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the good sidekick name? And they actually put that in the trailer, which was a nice touch. Um... One thing that always disappointed me about Batman... And what Robin, is this footage that he has? <laughs> yeah, Lord. And actually, this scene is preceded by a huge deleted scene where he basically talks to Alfred about quitting, you know, basically retiring Batman. And he makes a pretty good point. You know, your parents have been avenged. You know, Wayne, Wayne Industries donates an ungodly amount of money to, you know, police and victims' rights and all that stuff. And hey, there's not that much crime in Gotham. Why not retire? And then they segue into, I've never been in love before, blah, blah, blah. Let's focus on uh, the fact that Nicole Kidman is not wearing anything under these sheets right now. It's... Indeed. I'm not sure she's wearing anything when she wears that trench coat. <laughs> um, I, I might assume that there's absolutely nothing underneath that. Look at her hair and her make. It's like all done. It's That's great. <laughs> she, she knew he was coming. Oh, he's coming, all right. Is that like oh, a drum? I, what you did there. <laughs> I don't get it. Can someone explain that to me? I, I don't get it. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> Dr. Chase Meridian, it's me, Batman. I heard your uh, faucet was running, and I came to check it out. <laughs> and then, of course, you just reject him, which is just mean. Uh... And then this is probably the only time in, in all six movies where Batman smiles. Uh, I don't think he smiles in Batman and Robin, though. I could be mistaken. He probably, well, I mean, Clooney has, Clooney's amazing at not not smiling, but smiling, so. Well, he does that thing, and, you know, <laughs> frankly, I do this. It's sort of an involuntary reaction to getting bad news. You sort of kind of half smile out of discomfort. So, you know, I, I felt bad for people that bagged on him for that, because, honestly, that's one of my ticks, too. Yeah, it's cause, yeah, so Clooney's kind of, it's a moot point with Clooney. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. whether it's smiling or not, it doesn't count. Um, she should have shagged him first and then dumped him. He would have understood. That would have been, mean, that would have been a lot. That would have been a lot of work for both parties, though. Uh, actually, he definitely would have understood. An hour to get out of suit at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, he makes that reference. You know, fireman has to take off. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Wait for that and smile. We are well. We are just starting. Uh, well into Act Three. And there's the smile. <laughs> That's cute. Uh, Who wrote this article? Grateful, wi 
child prodigy win something or another. And there is Edward Nygma finally in the traditional Edward Gorshin and, you know, let's be honest, comic book inspired uh, green leotards. Um, you know, as I, as I said, the crazier he gets, the crazier his costumes get. I want to know more about the articles of that newspaper. <laughs> uh, well, I can't, we can't, can't pause, can we? Green Arrow wins an archery contest. <laughs> uh, Max Shrek's chart remains found. <laughs> Matt Shrek's uh, son, Val Revenge. <laughs> That's right. He had a son. I forgot about that. He got kidnapped. Yeah, he offered to take his place. Chip Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I, I have to admit, you know, one of the sort of the consequences to making this film more, you know, general audiences e is that you know, you know, we need Batman, we need Batman. And, like, why? The worst threat you apparently have in Gotham is, you know, Two-Face and Riddler running around robbing jewelry stores. Not good, but not exactly something that needs the help of a mass vigilante. And why can't the police catch Two-Face and the Riddler? They don't have fancy cars. Um, yeah, they blend in so well with the public. I mean, that is true. They look exactly like the day glow of everybody else. Yeah. Um, no, well, I, I, you know, no, talking about retirement, this scene just comes out of nowhere. When he's, oh, when he's, uh, oh, Batman, no more. It's like, what? Well, <laughs> well again, because of freaking it's... Days of Thunder, you're, you're like, gotta not be Batman anymore. Yeah, you've never mentioned the possibility of retiring. I just learned you were Batman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, deleted scene. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, you know, he made the lines of the effect of, you know, the innocent aren't faceless anymore. Well, isn't that more of a reason to continue being Batman? Because, you you know, Batman wasn't there, quote-unquote, and his parents died. This guy draws the same bad conclusions as Peter Parker. Uh, it's awfully easy to break into Wayne Manor, by the way, as you're about to learn. Yeah, Batman really tightens up the security. and the as, as, as we learn in The Dark Knight as well. Uh, yeah, I, after, um, there's a, you know, a line where, where Rachel, after Gordon's been quote unquote killed, where she's talking with Harvey Dent and like, I'm going to go to, you know, Wayne Plaza or Towers or whatever. It's the safe, it's the safest place. Really? Weren't you thrown out of a window there about two days ago? I think after that, it certainly became the safest place in the city. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like he's having big f fancy parties after, after Two-Face, or Two-Face, after Joker came in <laughs> and ruined everything. Uh, it's but certainly yeah, safer whole... than Wayne Manor where Liam Neeson shows up. It's like, I'm going to burn your house down and then you're going to be taken. <laughs> <laughs> coming, coming up in this scene, um, later on, I'll, get, I'll point it out exactly when it gets to it, but it, it has my favorite action beat in this entire movie, which involves Bruce Wayne out of costume just doing something badass, but I'll, I'll get to that. I remember the 15-year-old in me that, you know, was all into, you know, violence and darkness, really wanted Two-Face and Riddler to kill those trick-or-treaters. But in retrospect, that probably would have been the wrong mood for this movie. So many people would have turned against the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you would have lost 90% of your audience. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, you know, a flamethrower. <laughs> Of course, I would have been cheering, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
refunds would have been distributed. <laughs> I'm still gonna mute it. I'm still laughing. <laughs> oh god! All right. There they are. These are some good costumes, by the way. Of these kids, they really went all out. Goth Come on, Harvey, plot your machine gun. Gotham children don't don't joke around. Ha ha ha! <laughs> They're just right outside, like. Come on, just pick off one of them for fun. Bro hug and like. At, at least steal their candy. You don't have to kill them. I get this is you know a, a kid film. Steal their candy. And this is the, you know, this doesn't make sense because we cut all this stuff out. Scene. Um. You know, it's 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 if you, you know if you give me a minute to talk about the, basically the arc of this film. You know, in, in Batman, the first Batman, it's basically Bruce Wayne is sort of kind of well-known, but not really. And Batman is coming out. You know, he's making an, a, you know, an entrance. By the end of Batman, Batman is a celebrity, while Bruce Wayne is basically, you know, secluded himself into the darkness. And by Batman Returns, everybody loves Batman, but Bruce Wayne is such a non-entity that he's literally, at the beginning of the film, he's sitting in the Wayne Manor waiting for the bat signal to go up to give him something to do. <laughs> and, you know... By the end of Batman Returns, Bruce Wayne is still a non-entity. He pissed away his chance to be Selena Kyle because of Batman, arguably. And now Batman is not entirely trusted because he was framed for murder. In this film, you know, arguably, you know, Bruce Wayne realizes that Batman, you know, isn't particularly beloved as much. So he sort of dives into being Bruce Wayne. So you see sort of the reemergence of Bruce Wayne as a person. And this film, you basically have, you know, again, the constant struggle. Am I Bruce Wayne? Am I Batman. Can I be both of them? And at the end of this film, you know, and for reasons that we discussed earlier, yes, he could make the choice to be Bruce Wayne and Batman. And because his parents' deaths are not his fault, he's not tormented by that anymore. And there go in Batman and Robin, Bruce Wayne's happy and jolly and relatively fine. And he has to worry about, you know, how do I be a patriarch of this adopted family that I've discovered? Um... Even the shreds of this stuff that's left, I mean, it's good stuff. Like, I wish there was yeah. more of this. This is this is really interesting stuff that's going on on screen right now. And, you know, it, it, it's it's a shame that, it, you know, they cut out so much of the context. Because it really works as, you know, again, a Bruce Wayne-centric story. You know, he really does go through a journey here. More so than really any of the films other than, you know, Batman Begins. Um, I'd argue this is more of a Bruce Wayne-centric film than The Dark Knight. Which has, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, it's basically Gotham City, the movie. In fact, I had heard rumblings ages ago that Nolan originally wanted to call it Gotham City. But I don't know if that's true or not. I've heard a lot of different, there's a lot of rumors that floated around about how Batman was approached. True. But did anyone remember the, the first rumors for Batman 2, which had Danny DeVito as the Penguin, Ron Williams as the Riddler, and Cher as Catwoman? There's or Madonna. Oh, yeah. Or Madonna yeah. as Catwoman, too. And I Jack do remember Nichols the rumors that uh, Darren Aronofsky was supposed to be doing a version of Batman Year One. Ah, uh, yes. I think that was before even Nolan reboot. Uh, he wrote a script. It was just very weird. Uh, it was very, very different from the comic, and, and I don't want to get into too many details. And now you've just knocked out Alfred. That's just mean. It is. Anzo is like the haphazard way the henchmen seem to put his body into the into the room right there. At least they don't throw him in. They gently toss him in. They kind of see. It seemed like they kind of did. <laughs> yeah. And this, the coming up is the scene that that if you're a Two Face fan, probably made you want to 
punch your punch your hand through the screen. Yes. Where he sits there flipping the coin until he gets the results he wants. That was easy. Okay. Okay. How does that thing work? Magic. Yeah. Okay, coming up, there's good. It's. I think it's a little later, but Val Coomer's gonna like slide across the table, and I just always love that every time I see it. It's just really cool. Meantime, you got oh, Jim Carrey. Once again, the great security system. Yep. Everything <laughs> activates. Yes. Show the intruder everything in here. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I remember Jim Carrey talked a lot about how. Many times he hurt himself and others trying to, to twirl that cane. Here it is. Like, here it comes right here. It's just oh, it's just a double hit. It's cool. I oh, really nice. like that scene. And then coming up, we have the obligatory girl power punch, which was standard in all 90s action films. Yeah. Uh, she only gets one, but it's there. Everybody gets one. Yeah. Um, I guess Two-Face could be asking himself different questions each time he spins, he, he flips <laughs> the coin. That's maybe a way to justify it. Yeah. Maybe. I like this stuff, kind of, even though it's, it goes back and forth between how I prefer my Riddler versus I do like Jim Carrey enough in this role where it's like... It's... And here we go. Ugh. Boing. <laughs> I would like to think that he's react reacting to that for no particular reason. Yeah, oh, that's nice. Can you imagine uh, this movie in 3D? <laughs> Jim Carrey's giant pelvic thrusting in 3D. Um, and then, of course, you have the Looney sound effects here. Um, I had a thought. No, I have to wonder. You know, their big plan was to, you know, capture Chase Meridian, make him choose, make her choose between, you know, their whole plan was completely on coincidence. They didn't know Chase Meridian was going to be at the house that night. You know, there's even a line... I don't know if it's in the movie or it might be in the script where he's, you know, where Riddler sees Jason Meridian coming in. It doesn't be effective. It's not even my birthday. <laughs> um, so they don't know she's going to be there. And later on in the movie, they don't know that Dick Grayson, who ran away, is going to magically return, get a Robin suit, and then go with Batman to save the day. So the two, you know, hostages that they're planning on taking here, they have no way of knowing they're actually going to be there at the time. So I would love to know what his actual plan was. That is the luckiest shot in movie history. And that's the only blood you see in the film. Two-Face is not the greatest shot. No. Or if he attempted to wound him, maybe he is the greatest shot. Because not only did he not kill him, he gave him temporary amnesia. Bruce Wayne's a clever guy. x Origins Wolverine, eat your heart out. Jeez. Uh... Hey, he seems okay with that. Where he could have just shot him. That I would have done. You know. Uh, now she has to wonder if he's dead here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I... It's a pretty pretty loose planning going on all the way yeah. through. As <laughs> I shot Bruce yeah. Wayne. And there, there's a line coming up when she's talking to the Riddler. I think it's just something, you know, Batman will come for me. Like... Really, you just saw Batman get shot. The last dead. time you saw him, he was he was lying on the ground dead. <laughs> yeah, there's a good chance he ain't coming. And the universe is super genius, and this is his plan. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, he's crazy. 
he's gone completely off the deep end. Of course, uh, he's wearing. He, he destroyed exactly. the Batcave, and then he left his homicidal friend up to the, you know, in the mansion to do whatever he needed to. And of course, it all worked out, so he could give him his riddle. And I love how Alfred just imparts this incredibly run of bad news. The chair, Meridian's been taken. The cave's destroyed. Dick's run away. And there's another riddle. A, 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 a more precise question would be, what was Enigma's plan the whole time with the riddle since he started doing it before that he knew that Bruce Wayne was Batman? No idea. <laughs> I like, here this we is, go. Here's the jacket thing. And this John. is a somewhat dated line. It's funny. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Oh, yeah, it's funny, but it's... it's yeah, this jacket is ridiculous, too. I mean... <laughs> Oh, but the, the the next suit is even weirder. It's the the, the white, yeah, the white one. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Uh, and he doesn't have like whacked out hair during that scene too. Yeah, because he and he has he has the question mark over his yeah. eye and yeah, yeah. And look out, the Riddler is vandalizing the bat signal. So what? Somehow, that's very bad. Who do you think's doing that, you moron? Now we're gonna get around to solving the riddles, which he should have done. You know, a week ago. If we'd done this a week ago, you would have figured out who he was and the movie would be over. Uh, that officer should turn in his badge and gun because he's terrible. <laughs> uh, I, I do like it. It does kind of make sense that the sole purpose of these riddles is just to tell Bruce Wayne who's doing, who's sending the riddles. That actually is almost logical stalker behavior. Where you just you basically just want ownership of what you're doing, um, or so it's my good friend. Got, um, what was? Sorry. No, no, go ahead. It's kind of, it's kind of the, the central conceit to the Riddler's character is that he's he he thinks he's so much superior to Bruce Wayne Batman than anyone else he's you know trading wits with that he uh, trips himself up with the riddle. You know, he, he's just showing off that much, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a compulsion. He needs everyone to know who did it, and he needs everyone to know that he did it with them knowing he was going to do it. Uh, and that's, you know, it's his Achilles heel. I like the Alfred line right there, too. You yeah. are quite bright, despite what people say. <laughs> like, yeah. who's talking bad about Bruce Wayne? <laughs> Alfred just testing the waters. And I like how it's very much, uh, oh, there's the shots. Um, the, the, um, there it is, the ass shot. Yes. The, um, yeah. the, 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 the need to kind of, this film calls to um, the 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 original Batman TV series in terms of him solving riddles in that way, like Enigma, Enigma, just those kind of things. And then the, uh, of course, the obvious Robin line, uh, "Holy rest of metal, Batman." Yes. Um, and the, I will. Yeah, go on. Go. No, no, go ahead. No, I didn't. I had nothing. I will say one of the big disappointments of this movie, followed by Batman and Robin, is that we never get a big action sequence of Batman. And Robin in the Robin suit, you know, fighting people. You know, in this film, you know, Robin has one brief skirmish with Two Face, and he's captured immediately. And then by the time we get to Batman and Robin, he's already basically wearing his Nightwing outfit. And I thought it was so neat seeing, you know, basically, you know, the Robin suit brought to life in this universe that I thought I thought it was a huge shame they didn't actually use it in the next film. You know, it's it's weird that the film's called Batman and Robin, where for all intents and purposes, he's Nightwing. Yeah, the costume does look a lot more like Nightwing, especially now it has the new Nightwing costume, red highlights rather than blue. That's the same color scheme that O'Donnell's costume had in the movie after this. Um, 
I like these ships. They're like lo- they're loony and ridiculous, but I like these yeah. ships. <laughs> I like I like the toys. <laughs> um, I I remember being annoyed at the the sonar suit because and you know this is something I've gotten over just because they stopped doing this in the comics too. I've never liked the bat suit when it didn't have the yellow oval. I like the yellow oval. I think it's neat. I think it adds a certain flair to the suit. And I've never liked when they didn't use it in the movies. And, you know, they haven't used it in the comics since 2000. So there's really nothing I can do about it now. But back in 1995, I remember being disappointed that, you know, they, they ditched the yellow oval. I, anyway. I agree with that to a point where I prefer it. But depending on the design, the artwork, I can get around it. But I see, I know what you're saying. And I, I, do, yeah. I do prefer it when it happens. So. Um, I do like that Jim Gordon's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just really excited. Don't stop. <laughs> he doesn't have stop. To do his job tonight. Yeah. No <laughs> cop work for me. I'm going home. <laughs> you know, let's go go stop the Riddler, who, as far as we know, hasn't actually committed any crime. Time to watch Matlock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this time Battleship the movie before Battleship the movie. Uh. Once again, all of his vehicles get destroyed in the movie. I can't imagine what his insurance premium is for these things. He has the Batman uh, Forever American Express card. He never leaves the cave without it. So. <laughs> that is true. Um, let's see. It, it is, you know, that this entire sequence was almost the start of something where you had incredibly expensive CGI that really didn't, you know, it was basically a mash of images. I mean, where is this boat going to? Where is the ship flying and all, you know, it's sort of a, you know, it just, there was no connective geography to any of this action. And it was very loud. It was very fast, but it didn't have half the grace of, say, the Batwing scene from the first Batman, nope. which was just, you know, a model and, and you know, mi- uh, miniatures and what have you. Yeah, there's really no rhyme or reason to this scene. It's just like, no. we need to get there. Let's do that. And then they just show us all this stuff and, <laughs> it, and- it means very little. Uh, and I, I, you know, it may not be fair to the film, but, you know, CGI had reached a point here where you could do that, where you could just basically show anything on screen of varying quality, and you just showed CGI vehicles just for the sake of CGI vehicles. I would have started with that, but okay. Um, let's see. That's two for two on those bat wings. Those bat wings are terrible. The first one got brought down by a bullet. At least this one got brought down by like a laser or something. Green light. <laughs> uh, barely powered by Sinestro. <laughs> and again, you can kind of tell what's going on here, but there's not, you know, it, it's it really is sort of a mumble, you know, a random mumble of images. Um, yeah, it's a little murky. I love how and, Batman is shot out of his submarine. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a man that likes an exit strategy. And I always thought it was kind of not super heroic, iconic to show Batman and Robin doing the dog battle in the water. <laughs> it's their heavy suits. <laughs> yeah. I, I personally always had a real problem with Batman running. And, you know, this isn't the only movie that does it. You know, the animated series does it all the time. But I've it's always thought Batman... The, the TV show has the... It's the damn meme yeah. of them running. So. Yeah. But I've, I've never... And there's, of course, there's the... Holy, you know, it's full of holes. <laughs> right, whatever. 
Oh, Akiva Goldsman. <laughs> you, you quipster. You humorist. <laughs> they had to have one. Uh, is, he main, would, and, is he the main writer on this one? Yes. Yeah. Academy and, but, Award winner, Akiva Goldsman. But even more you know, iconic to the 60s show is this line right we dismissed where Robin points out that the island is moving while the island is moving. <laughs> no kidding. He, he has a lot to learn because he's not as, quite as clever as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He's still a young boy. He, you know, he hasn't. He's lightheaded from how heavy the suit is. <laughs> <laughs> he so yearns to turn his neck. Yeah. Now, again, when I was talking earlier about, you know, jumbled images, I've seen this film a lot and I'm still not entirely sure what happens here. I the yeah the geography is a little bit confusing. Yeah, you know I I've seen this film more times than I care to admit, but again if you ask me what I don't know. I do like the Two Face apparently wanted to do his own dirty work here. Yeah. <laughs> he like climbed all the way down this rock mountain thing just so he could confront Robin with a gun, which he quickly loses. Yeah, yes. And I love the fact you know yes it's important that he chooses not to kill Harvey and character arc etc cetera, etc, cetera, but then he gets punished for it. <laughs> Uh, Heroic shot. Yeah, that was in the trailer. Oh, yeah, every trailer. Yeah, and that's really the only heroic shot of Robin in the entire film. Where's Batman's grappling hook? Why is he climbing? I don't know, and again, I... Why would they carve out question marks for ladders? <laughs> Who's designing this place? How does it collapse uh, when it comes back down to the ground again? Yeah, I, again, I am... Okay, there's spikes. That thing's coming down. Is it going to crush him? It's like the if weirdest it's... spikes, too. There's like these weird jagged spikes that are made of metal, and then there's like just rocks on the bottom. It's like... This is, I love the, the whoever their art designer is. I mean, kudos to them. Um, this was back when 100 million bucks looked like 100 million bucks. It's yeah, they certainly spent the money. It certainly yeah. looks like this is an expensive movie. And even you know, Batman and Robin, you know, say what you will, but the the production design and special effects are astonishing. Um, that allegedly cost as much as 200 million. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, and for uh, what it's worth, it looks like the world effects. So. Yeah, yeah. Um. And this is his noble reward for not killing Harvey. Congratulations, Robin the Boy Hostage. Ah, and that's all the heroism Robin gets to do. Okay, so he kind of does something on his shoes that makes his shoes go rockety. And now he's going up. Did he? Did he like flip it around? Is that what happened? I get. Yeah, he broke the gear and. Um... I think Batman was thinking of portals. I think that's what happened. I think okay. he used a portal. We didn't see it. It was deleted scene again. Oh, okay. Another deleted scene. Okay, I still have no idea what just happened there. Yeah. He, he, and I, I was trying this time. I really was. <laughs> um, And here's another, another, oddly enough, not so much a deleted scene, but a deleted line. The whole thing about his riddle about being blind as a bat, or the whole, you know, what his... The whole speech here is actually longer than the original script. And they actually explained some of Batman and Riddler's thinking here. Um, I gotta pick up this script. Yeah, you do. It's actually very interesting. It's 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 clear they cut a lot of it just because it was darker. It wasn't as dark as Batman Returns or anything like that. But... My nose can be gushing blood! <laughs> <laughs> gushing the... blood? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love that the Riddler has a little dot for his question mark on his mask on his face. I, yes. <laughs> it's just that little detail. And he's, I guess he, like, this is his Mardi Gras look. Yes. This is his, he's completely nuts look. Or he's going to, like, Carnival or something. Oh. I hope, I, I hope someone has his action figure. I don't think they, Joel well, Schumacher. I don't know. Joel Schumacher. 
You know, this was actually a pretty good plan, his whole getting everybody's knowledge and information. And if he hadn't bothered to antagonize Batman, he probably would have gotten away with it. Or for those meddling kids. Yeah. That's a great line. Obviously very self-aware, but also you're rooted in the character. And that he's going for, the character is losing you know more and more control of his mind. It is a good line. <laughs> You know, obviously it's a, you know, a screw you to all the critics, but it works. Oh. And again, both both of these hostages were captured by pure happenstance. Always a really cool laser lighting in your uh, death trap as well. Yes. Um. There's another line about Robin. That implies he's supposed to be younger. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Like he's still a virgin? Yeah. Um, yeah, bare naked. I, I think it's nice that, you know, they tied his hands behind his back, but they tied her hands in front of her. Once again, Debbie Mazur, proud to show off her body. Yes. Um, Lots of, and I, it's a cane twirling. And I do like that, you know, similar to Spider-Man, which, of course, had a very similar you know, con- uh, concept, you know, he says choose, Batman says no, and then he says, eh. Which is something um, that's, there's something kind of reflected about that in Batman and Robin, and I, I'm not a fan of Batman and Robin, but there's this, there, there is a scene in that movie where it comes down to Batman's acceptance of, of, of Robin as, you know, his equal to an extent, yes. and, it, and it leads to Batman letting Robin go and, you know, proceed and knowing that he can do something, like, I think it, like, rescues Batgirl or something like that. Like, yes. he, he lets that well, he, happen like, in order to sit so he can do is it the other thing he needs to do. Yes. Yeah, and that's basically his, you know, final lesson, that he counts on Batgirl and Robin to do the job themselves that they need to do while he's taking care of Mr. Freeze. Um, similar to Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. Actually, the exact same... Yes, exactly, like Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. Yeah. Um, arguably, arguably a little bit more effective. Well, I don't know. Equally effective. How about that? I'd say that. I'd agree with that. Um, Let me use the suit. Now, I'm not entirely sure how this all works I don't, I don't know what the sonar does. It, and just, again, it seems like he just throws something at something. It seems like he could have had a bat rock and done the same process. But... <laughs> <laughs> How did the sonar help him in this scene? (laughs) Again, I think in the original script they explained that a little bit more. But I don't remember the details. All all he did, he he literally pulled a killer croc. He threw a rock at him. Like, that's (laughs) what he did in this scene. It was a big rock. (laughs) Uh, Nothing about having the most, like, advanced suit possible, like, helped him in completing his ultimate plan of taking down the Red uh, you and think now, this hey. uh, machine would be protected with something more than simple glass? As we've, as we've learned, the theme of this film is that no one has security. No. <laughs> Here comes the up, and, upskirt shot, by the way, just saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately for him, for some particular reason, the, the you know, there's a giant hole in the floor so we can catch both of them. And once again, he gets the girl first. Uh, but at least here, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, she was there first. Yeah. And also, she was the more innocent bystander, arguably. What's the you know, it was, about the rules it was, of gravity, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Rules of gravity don't apply whenever Batman's jumping up a building to save somebody. So in our suit. Yeah. <laughs> um, ba, 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 ba. Um, the suit gives another action figure. 
Exactly. Oh, sure. I and mean, that, that's the whole point of it, of course. Yeah, I'm not questioning that's, that. <laughs> and that's why at the end of Batman and Robin, even though there's 12 minutes to thaw the entire city, they all change costumes. I do oh, like the sort of, thanks. That was close. Hmm. It's nice when, it, that, yeah. these are little moments, but it's nice when they say things. Like there's a moment in yeah. Captain America when just a random soldier hands Captain America, or is it Tommy Lee Jones? Someone hands him his shield and he says, thanks, before he proceeds on to the next yeah. scene. It's just like that moment of gratitude is like not needed, but he does it anyway. And it's like wonderful. <laughs> it just, they're, and, they're heroes. Okay. How in the world did Tommy Lee Jones get down there? I, he's, I mean, you saw him climb around on the rocks before. He's a scrambler. He always has, <laughs> always has been, always has been. He's an amateur rock climber. Obviously, Batman has seen the Two-Face episodes of Batman Animated Series. Because yeah. he pulls the same scheme right here. I, I do wish that there was a giant penny at some point. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. You've always been a good friend. What? Yeah, we're friends? Wait, wait. Quarters? No! no. Is that murder? I Close enough. <laughs> I, think he, I think Bruce and Dick are having a little chit-chat afterwards. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's not. I mean, he didn't have to go no, after yeah, him. Yeah, he didn't have to. Um, he, he, I mean, okay, well, what would the precogs say? I guess that's why that's where I'm going down to this. <laughs> <laughs> the precogs count that as murder. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, always, I always like to see Batman and Robin put on the black makeup on their eyes before putting on their masks. I've never seen that. I'd like, I'd like to see that at some point. There's actually a cracked Photoshop article of, you know, behind the scenes of famous iconic movie moments. And that's one of them with Christian Bale putting on his makeup. Huh. Because that's, that's something I really like in, uh, in Kick-Ass, where you see Nick Cage put on the uh, the black eyeliner before he puts on his face. It's just something you never see in a superhero movie. Yeah. And this was actually somewhat of a big deal at the time, because this was the first time that a Batman movie didn't kill off all the villains. Uh, they actually kept him around. Catwoman didn't die. Well, they, you know what? You're right. That's true. They didn't. In they intentionally didn't kill... Ah, yeah. whatever. Okay. You, know, you know what I mean. He got taken to jail. Fine. The first time one of the I, villains got taken to jail. Okay. I, okay. You're right. You're right, though. Um, Christopher Walken lived. <laughs> no, he no, didn't. He, no, he no, didn't. He, did <laughs> he got the best death of them all. See his body. Electric kiss. Yeah. Uh, and that's, this is Arkham Asylum, which you would have seen in the first scene of the film had the original opening been in the in the film. And this is, of course, a last-minute joke. Dr. Burton. Chip. And the look of him, too. <laughs> That's perfect. Why, why, is, um, why is Bob Gunton cross-dressing in this scene? <laughs> there, there's my Shawshank fan fiction right there. <laughs> no, no, that's actually... Uh, I don't know his name, but he's Odo in Deep Space Nine. Okay. Renee Arjunlaw. Thank you. And this is the only scene in the movie where Grace Meridian does not wear black. And it's meant to be that her character is no longer you know, morbid dark or whatever, because, hey, she's wearing a red blazer. Uh, a very nice red blazer, don't get me wrong, but, um, <clears throat> and this is nice that he can, you know, Riddler conveniently can forgets all the important stuff. Yeah, really. Um. specific amnesia is very useful. And actually, in the original script, she did not figure out that Bruce Wayne was Batman when they kissed right toward the end. So she's actually confused when Heart, you know, Two Face calls him Bruce right before he dies, and Robin sort of just makes up some random excuse, and then she finds out during this. You know, she finds out by the end. He just sort of told her the truth. I can, you see. I forget that too. I, I forget that she doesn't know until this point in this movie. Yeah. 
Well, the implication is she figured it out right when they kissed, right before the Two Face and, and Riddler came oh, yeah, showed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Very Jane style. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's pretty much the end of the film. Uh, why are there are there bullet holes in the Arkham Asylum gates? Uh, there could be. That would that would make sense. Go, 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 movie. Go back to the light. There it is. You got like this. Uh, either that or just really bad security. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the creepiest doll. I, <laughs> that if someone gave that to me. No, I don't need Thank this you. dream doll anymore. <laughs> it's frightening the hell out of me. I cannot sleep. <laughs> Thank you for giving me a new dream. A wet dream, doctor. Oh, Alfred. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to be dead soon. By the way, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'm gone. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be in the next movie. No, no, no. El, El McPherson's going to take my place. Sadly. Um, and this is, I, as much as I don't like running, eh, whatever, it's a nice ending. Even if they gave it away in the second preview. Yeah. It is weird that this movie's called Batman Forever and ends with Batman and Robin, and Batman and Robin's called Batman and Robin, and it's with Batman and Robin and Catwoman. It's madness! Madness! You two song. Ah, thus ends Batman Forever. I like the bat symbol imposed on the credits there. Forgot about that. Yes, he's called Harvey Two Face. That's interesting. It seems arbitrary since nobody ever, as far as I know, nobody ever calls him that. Oh, I miss John. I miss John Favreau. Yeah, he's he's one of the um, he's one of the guys in in Wayne Enterprises. Oh God. I always forget. Oh, yes. I always forget to look for him too. He's he's there. Um. Yeah. Um. Huh. It, it is what it is. Well, I actually enjoyed. I'm reminded it. Of I remember. Oh. Sorry, Jordan. What was that? I'm sorry. Jordan, go. Oh, I actually enjoyed it more than I remember this time. That's good to hear, Jim. What were you saying? It was just so similar. I remember when it came out really being disappointed by it, really not enjoying it at all. But I don't know, seeing it, uh, you know, 15 years later, as, as it were, I, I, I enjoyed it more than I did back in the day when I bought it on VHS. Well, I think to a certain extent, you know, 16, 17 years, uh, 17 years later, I think, you know, this is one of six Batman films, not counting, you know, the animated series stuff. So, this one doesn't have to be the defining Batman movie for anyone. It could just be a sort of a fun romp in the park, so to speak. Yeah. You know, we can appreciate what works. We can disc at what doesn't. But, you know, there's always, you know, whichever you prefer, Dark Knight, Batman Begins, Batman Returns, Batman, or if you're my wife, Batman and Robin. Or Batman the movie. Um, yes, or Batman the movie, which I think I'll Ooh, be I showing my, my, I think I'll be showing my kids sometime this weekend. C is for Catwoman. No, no, it's C is oh. for cat. What? <laughs> it was pulling my leg. The Joker. The Joker. Oh my God. I, I was attacked. Or what was it? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. But I, I always like that scene because that's basically how Dan Brown writes his books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you watch, if you watch those two movies, that's basically the way that Tom Hanks solves clues. Um, did this movie win awards? It did, didn't it? Like sound awards? It was nominated for a couple. I don't believe it won anything. Okay. I could be mistaken. Yeah, I know yeah, the you're first correct. film it was nominated for. It was nominated for a few: uh, cinematography, sound, and sound editing. Yeah, and it was you know the first film won for art direction, <laughs> and then the 
the Oscar winner of that, Anton first celebrated by killing himself. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, but he, he threw himself off a building. I don't know entirely know why. Kids. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, but in one of those great shames of Academy history, Danny Elfman was not nominated for the Batman score. Nor was Jack Nicholson nominated for the Joker. He which got, he was, he was know, Golden Globe nominated, though, wasn't he? Uh, I will take your word for it. And that counts. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is odd because, you know, Al Pacino was nominated for Dick Tracy, and I believe Dustin Hoffman was nominated for Hook. I uh, they don't, really, don't quote me on that. I don't think so for Hook and Dustin for, for Academy Awards. I'm not. Uh, I will. T- I'm fine. Then I, I, I do know Al Pacino was definitely nominated. For yeah, Dick Al Pacino Tracy. was definitely. And was Dick, Tracy, Dick Tracy got I like. Say. I believe Dick Tracy got like like seven Academy Awards or something like that. It was. It was yeah, that movie was well um, received by the Academy. But they really like yeah. Warren Beatty and Al Pacino, so that helps. And Madonna. Oh yes, yes. Like, uh, yeah, it won. Right on Blu-ray. I yeah, I can't wait. Well, I hope they. Oh, I yeah. hope they try. I hope they don't just like port it over. I hope they like try and make a good Blu-ray out of it. Um. No, that that and Roger Rabbit, I'm I'm very look, much looking forward oh, to. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, that yeah. film, neither neither of those films have aged today. Uh, I, those movies, just their use of primary colors is so fun. It's just yeah. it'll look great on in this format. Yeah. And the weirdest thing about Dick Tracy, and I don't want to get too off on a tangent here, it's it's such a quote unquote PG, you know, kid friendly G whiz comic book film, but it's actually the one of the darkest, saddest, most adult dramas, you know, ever to be told in a comic book movie. You know, it's just incredibly depressing because the entire film is about, you know, the three characters, Breathless, Dick Tracy and, you know, Breathless and Big Boy, who are just miserable because they're excelling at at jobs that they don't want to do. And there's no way out for any of them. But it has hilarious dance numbers. So, yes, it does. It does. OK, so let's uh, to, to get back to Batman Forever, which is now ended. And um, that, that was that was fun. Uh, that was it was nice to revisit that film. I, I do like that movie a lot. Um it's not my, I mean, I'd still put it, I would put it below the Nolan films and the both Burton films, but I do like, I do like that. Cause I don't, I don't dis, I don't hate the Schumacher films. I, no. I dislike Batman and Robin to a point, but I don't hate that movie. I don't, I don't think it's a God awful movie. It's just, it's just a, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not the Batman I want to see, but yeah, that, yeah. Um, uh, well, it's funny that they wanted to reach a younger audience. So who do they hire? Joel uh, Schumacher of a man in his fifties, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a, a, a theatrical director known for his dark work, such as falling down the lost boys and, um, uh, a time to kill. He, he, he was, yeah. To be uh, we need a it. lot of shots of buff naked male statues. <laughs> can we get <laughs> that? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's let's wrap it up here because okay. uh, I'm sure people don't want to hear us pandering too much more about a movie that's not even playing anymore. Um, that's gonna do it for this special Good. bonus episode about now Baron and Abe. You can, of course, find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews as well as at whysoblue.com for all my Blu-ray reviews. And you can follow me at twitter.com/slash Aaron's PS3. Uh, Jim Dietz. Uh, Jimdeets.com for all the uh, shows on our network. Uh, including out now with Aaron and Abe that you're listening to now. And uh, the Walking Dead TV podcast is uh, getting uh, back into gear, uh, getting ready for season three. And uh, we're also covering uh, Before Watchmen issue by issue as it's released by DC Comics, all available at Legion of Awesome. I've been listening to that Before Watchmen, those episodes. It's quite, I like those because I've been reading the, I've been reading those comics and it's been enjoyable. Uh, Scott Mendelson. Um, you can find my stuff at Mendelson's Memos. 
You can just Google that. I also syndicated Huffington Post and Valley Scene Magazine. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Scott Mendelson, one word. And that's all I got. Jordan Grout. You can go to damndirtyblog.blogspot.com. Soon to be damndirtynews.com. Ooh. 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 You're going to get some scoops? I Probably not. Is, is Jimmy Olsen starting to work for you? Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> all right. You can uh, find all the other episodes about Now, Fair, and Abe, including some other commentaries that we've done. We t- I tend to get the same crowd in for the commentaries because I like talking with these guys about movies while watching. And we, and we like talking to you. Great. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, iTunes, HHWLOD.com, where you can find this show, all the episodes there, as well as the other shows that are available on the network, which Jim Dietz is a part of. And, of course, you can email us at outnowpodcast at gmo.com. Did you listen all the way through this commentary? Did you enjoy it? Do you want – are there specific movies you want us to do commentaries for? These are all wonderful questions you can answer at outnowpodcast at gmo.com or at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or even more at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. All of our updates and various – updates again are put are put on those pages so uh you know feel free to comment and you know put your thoughts or check out the other shows there um that's of course gonna do it this was our batman forever commentary thanks guys for you know coming on and doing this always a pleasure great thank you of course and until next time so long and goodbye
so much a man can tell me, so much he can say, you remain my power, my pleasure, my pain. To me, you're like a grown addiction that I can't deny. Now, won't you tell me, is that healthy, baby? But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become a large and the light? That you shine can't be seen Baby, I can feel you too Kiss from a rose on the green Ooh, the more I get of you The stranger it feels, yeah Now that your rose is in bloom A light hits the gloom on the green Yes, I can feel you too Kiss from a rose on the green Oh.